0: And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, I hope everybody is doing well, a lot of things to discuss today in the Worlds of Sports and Beyond. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope everybody's living love. I hope everybody is bringing unity. I hope everybody is bringing harmony. I hope everybody is treating others the way that they want to be treated. If not the majority, I hope a good number of folks out there, whether we're talking about in Appalachia, whether we're talking about in DC, whether we're talking about in LA, whether we're talking about in Paris, whether we're talking about in France, whether we're talking about in Madrid, whether we're talking about in Ethiopia, anywhere, South Africa, anywhere, Johannesburg, anywhere. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, no matter who you are, no matter your race, your skin color, your creed, your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, anybody who's listening to this podcast, I hope that you are doing your part in your way to go ahead and make your neighborhood, to make your state, to make your area, to make your space, to make your community, to make whatever you feel is important. I'm hoping that you're doing your part through love, through unity, through harmony, through togetherness, regardless of your differences, to have this unity to have this country to have this world come to better and make it a better place so i hope everybody is doing that on the podcast today man i got some good stuff that i want to talk about i promised on my last podcast that i was going to mention something about limb bias And the greatest basketball player who I think I've ever seen, of course, everybody wants to bring up Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and all those things. But in my biased opinion, for my love in terms of a basketball player is concerned, no one has yet topped Lenny Bias of the University of Maryland, Patrick Ewing, David Wingate, Reggie Williams, Bernard King, Magic Johnson, all of those guys, Byron Scott, all of those guys I grew up idolizing as a guy who wanted to play in the NBA, who wanted to play basketball similar to those guys, no one. No one captured my love of basketball and for one player more than Lem Bias. Coming up now, as this is being recorded, this is being recorded on a Thursday afternoon, which means it's going to go out Friday morning. So Len Bias died 1986 of an accidental cocaine overdose after being drafted number two by the Boston Celtics back in the 1986 NBA draft. On my, I have a Facebook page, it's the Wendell Wallace Facebook page, you can find Find it on um, Facebook. At, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the impact that Len Bias had on me as um, my love for sports, my love for playing basketball, my love just for everything and just how it affected the community. Because I mentioned before, and I do this every year because, yeah, it's 1986, so we're talking about, what, 86, 96, 2006, 2016, so we're talking about, what, a long time ago. But the fact that, you know what, is still kind of stays with me in terms of the impact that Len Bias had and why I still remember this date and I still remember, you know, what happened. I still remember everything that went down. There's always been dates and times in our life. Whether it's national, whether it has to do with politics, whether it has to do with something personal where you know exactly where you were, you know exactly how you were feeling, you know exactly the reaction that you had, you know exactly the aftermath after you found out the news about what happened. And, you know, we have about three or four of those type of instances throughout our life if you're not talking about a personal matter, family matter situation where... Doesn't matter, man, you'll probably grow to be 250 years old and you'll still on the last breath that you take will remember where you were, what you were doing, the emotions that you felt when that occurrence happened. And for me, June 19th, 1986, man, I remember it like it was just yesterday, the emotions, the feelings, the happenings, everything. And when I tell the story, the emotions still come up and they're just as raw and they're just as real, they're just as you know, there for me as it was that day when I got that call early in the morning in that summer day from David O'Neal talking about, did you hear the news? Len Bias just died. I said, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Len Bias just died, man. Just get out of here, man. What are you talking about? Lenny just got drafted by the Boston Celtics. Lenny was an All-American. Lenny was, should have been player of the year. Lenny was better than that number 23 who played a Michael Jordan. What the fuck are you talking about, man? 6'8", 220, chiseled, built like a Built like a Greek god, had a great jump shot, could jump out of the gym. What the hell are you talking about? Len Bias just died. Get out of here. What did he die of? What, a car crash? Someone shot him? What's going on? What? How did he die? He died of a heart attack. All right, O'Neal, get out of here. Get out of here. I don't know where you heard that bullshit from, but it's nonsense. Get out of here. That didn't happen. Len Bias, 6'8", 220 pounds, built, chiseled, Unbelievable athletic ability, young, can run all day, jump out of the gym. That limb bias died of a heart attack. Right, get out of here. Come on, man. I I'm going to the I'm going to the courts a little bit later on. I'm going up to the uh, pool a little bit later on to play some ball. Are you going to be coming up there? I got to get my workout in. I was going into my senior year of high school. I was wanting to play on the basketball. I was on the basketball team. You know, I wanted to play for Georgetown University and summer camps were starting as far as basketball was concerned, so I wanted to get my basketball game right. So School was out at the time, was going to go to the courts, go ahead and play before it got too hot in the D.C., M.D., V.A. area summer, before the humidity got too much. So before I went over to Steve Smith's house and hung out with Hayden Witter and Mikel Davis and Tim Sanderson and Joe Boldig and all those guys, I was going to go ahead and get a workout in. So I told O'Neill, look, are you going to come to the courts or not? Now I'm too distraught, I'm too upset, I just can't believe and I'm still in bis- disbelief that Lenny died. I'm like, well, bullshit. I don't think he died. I don't think he died at all. So, put the phone down. Said to myself, "Why in the fuck would O'Neill say some shit like that?" Len well, Bias died. Can't be right. I, I, no, no, it can't be right. But why would he? I mean, he wasn't joking. This wasn't ha ha. He he. What the fuck's going on? Let me turn on WPGC ninety five point five. And then, as soon as I turned on that that um, station and heard the news. We'd like to to, uh, extend our condolences to the family of Len Baez who passed away. It was like my whole world just shattered. It was like, no, fuck, no, no, no. That was just some outlandish, outrageous, unbelievable shit that happened when uh, I got the news, when I heard the news. And it was like the crazy thing was, and this was before cell phones, and this was before the internet. And this is almost really before computers, and this was before all the social media, and this was all before cables. So you didn't have uh, MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or anything like that. You didn't have any of the news outlets or ways of information that we have today. So as soon as it was almost like, I don't know, man, as soon as I heard the news on Donnie Simpson's show on WPGC, it was just like, First, my mom called, then my dad called, then then it's like just a flood of people just called. It was all like, did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? And it was just like, we just couldn't believe it. It wasn't just me. It was just the entire city, the entire state, almost the entire region, almost the entire country. We just couldn't believe it that Lem Bias died. Lem this was before it came out that he Overdosed on cocaine, but it was like, no, 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 Damn, Let me stop right now. Cause I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a podcast to do and I want to be in good spirits. I want to be in a good mood. I want to bottle up. I want to save these emotions and feelings that I have for my Facebook page, my video that I'm going to do on my Facebook page talking about Len Bias, but yeah, man, we're we're speaking about when it comes to the pantheon of athletes who I admired and admire, Len Bias is right up there with Muhammad Ali, is Ali, Bias, Magic Johnson, and uh, really, that's about it. When you're talking about the three athletes as a youth who really shaped my life in terms of you know going out and playing ball, becoming a sports fan, wanting to do what we need to do, it was Ali, it was uh, Len Bias. It was Magic Johnson, everybody who played for Georgetown University up until about 1987. So yeah, man, it was crazy. It was unbelievable. So that happened again. When I'm i going to go ahead, probably record it on my Facebook page, Wendell Wallace Show Facebook page, probably do that later on this evening or early Friday morning, whatever you prefer. So if you want to check that out and hear me go nuts and crazy and relive the memory, because I know people, I know people who will be listening to this, you guys know, you know, you were there, you remember, anybody of that age, you might not have the same thoughts and feelings and emotions as me, because, you know, after all, Lenny Bias was ours, Lenny Bias was Maryland-born, Maryland-bred, and unfortunately, he died Maryland dead, so it was a situation where it was almost like like a brother. It was almost like a family member because this wasn't somebody who played at the University of Maryland with Adrian Branch and Keith Gatling and those guys. And, you know, Maryland at the time was our team along with Georgetown University. And, you know, it was a situation where, you know, Lenny grew up in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland. You know, he went to Northwestern High School. He didn't, Maryland didn't get him from California or didn't get him from Florida. I mean, he wasn't born and bred and learned his game. He didn't, you know, he, he wasn't from some other state or something like that. Lem Bias, the number two draft pick in the NBA was going to set the world on fire and become the best basketball player who ever lived and already went down as one of the best ACC basketball players who's ever played in that conference. That was ours. He was ours. He was our treasure. He was our son. He was our everything. And when he died, especially for I mentioned before a segment of guys like us. We're talking about Mikel. We're talking about Steve. We're talking about Hayden. We're talking about Tim. We're talking about all my boys. We're talking about Kevin Gray. We're talking about all those all of my fellows, all of my friends, all of my homies, all of my, brother, all of my brothers, you know what I'm talking about? Going to the courts every day and playing and hanging out and, you know, just doing our thing and going up the Fox Hall and going up to a court where we can play under the lights and everything, it was all because of Lenny. It was all because of Magic. It was all because of Bernard King. It was all because of, you know, the guys that I loved. It was all because of Dr. J. It was all because of, you know, Andrew Tony. It was all because of those guys, but that the leader of the group in terms of our devotion in terms of our wanting in terms of our passion to play the game of basketball it was Lem Bias so when he died down the drain for about a week my everything went i mean we just walked around walked around in a haze in a daze we just we just couldn't believe it we just couldn't believe it all right all right all right all right i'll go ahead and i'll save the rest again talking about Lem Bias for my facebook page in terms of my thoughts and feelings about Len bias but for those who aren't going to take a gander over on my facebook page at least i gave you my thoughts and my feelings about this i wanted to do a whole podcast on it but i was like nah there's too much shit going on for me to sit there and talk about you know the greatness of Len bias and how yes in college he was better than michael jordan now if the guy had a cocaine problem obviously you know in the long run long run of course jordan would have been a much better basketball player, but at least in college, there was a strong argument that you can make that I can make that anybody who watched the ACC or watched Maryland and North Carolina play during that time, that you can make a strong argument that yes, Lem Bias was a better basketball player, college basketball player than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan really didn't become Michael Jordan until he got to the NBA. He wasn't Michael Jordan when he was in college. I mean, he was great player of the year, all those type of things, but no one. Nobody. I don't care who you are. I don't care who was living. I don't care who was scouting. I don't care who was loving basketball at that time, age group, whatever. Nobody. Coming out in 1984 when Michael Jordan was drafted, no one was sitting in there talking about he's going to go down as one of the top two or three basketball players who's ever lived and have the cultural impact that he's had on society and everything for the last, what, going on now, what, 35, 40 years or something like that? Nobody could have predicted that, so... Yes, at the time in 1985 or 1986, if you would have made, maybe not 1986, but 1985, you could have made, easily made the argument that yes, Lem Bias and Michael Jordan, in terms of who's the better basketball player, you can make a good argument for both. So there you go. My man, Lem Bias, rest in peace, Lenny. I love you. Always love you. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports and beyond NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell said a couple of days ago that he supports and he encourages teams to sign quarterback Colin Kaepernick. This is what he said when Greeny Mike Greenberg, really nice guy, by the way, Mike Greenberg asked him what his role as far as Kaepernick would be in regarding the comeback or regarding his wanting of coming back to the NFL.
1: Well, listen, uh, if he wants to resume his career uh, in the NFL, That obviously is going to take a team to make that decision, but I welcome that, uh, support the club making that decision and encourage them to do that. Um, If his efforts are not on the field, but and continuing to work in this space, uh, we welcome to that, to that table and, and to be able to help us and guide us and help us make better decisions about the kinds of things that need to be done in communities. Uh, We have invited him in before, and we want to make sure that uh, everybody's welcome at that table and trying to help us deal with some very complex, difficult issues that have been around, unfortunately, for a long time. Uh, But I hope we're at a point now where everybody's committed to making long-term, sustainable change.
0: If he wants to resume his career in the NFL, that's his decision. If a team welcomes the decision, the NFL welcomes it. And if his efforts are not to be on the field, but to work in the community for social justice and change, the NFL welcomes that also. All right. All right. And let me see, basically, what else did Goodell say in the video? Oh, yeah. The NFL would be open to have Kaepernick educate them on what needs to be done to improve the society. Now, again, I said this in, I don't know, was it the last podcast I did? I don't know, man. Look it up in the archives. But I said this before in terms of the willingness and the believability of Roger Goodell, the man, Roger Goodell to have Colin Kaepernick back in the league and to work for some type of change as far as improving the conditions of social justice, social discrimination, you know, black discrimination and all of those type of things that play the black and brown community. I think Roger Goodell is sincere in his willingness to help, not be the guy who's going to be leading the marches and leading the charges and telling black folks what to do and how they need to do it. But I think Roger Goodell is open to the idea of helping those who want to help our communities, I think that I, I find his willingness to do so genuine. Now, people want to sit there and bash him for not mentioning Colin Kaepernick, and why didn't you have Colin Kaepernick if you were so gung-ho, if you were so open, if you were so her- hip-hip-hooray about trying to improve the lives and the um, conditions of the oppressed and poor and black and brown communities? Why didn't you do so in 2016 when you had a layup in terms of Putting, giving Colin Kaepernick an opportunity to get back into the league after he was—I hate the word blackballed—but in in terms of him being ostracized. From the league, black cat, black, anything, anything negative with the term black in it, I'm no longer using. So that's why I'm not saying black ball, but you know, for him to be ostracized. Why didn't Roger Goodell come out and say anything? And I mentioned it before on my podcast because Roger Goodell only has so much power. Roger Goodell is an employee of the NFL. Roger Goodell is a high paying, important, powerful employee of the NFL, but he is employed by the NFL owners and he can't go rogue. In terms of saying Colin Kaepernick back in 2017, 2018, 2019, he can't go on the air talking about this is bullshit and this is nonsense and this is horrible and this is racism and Jerry Jones is the putts and Robert Kraft is the jackass and Jeffrey Lurie is blind and the Yorks don't have their, have their head up their asses because how dare they go ahead and treat Colin Kaepernick uh, how they're treating him. This is wrong. This is outrageous. This stinks. It smells of racism and this is horrible. If Roger Goodell would have come out and said that hell if roger goodell comes out and says that he no longer has a job so you know for those of those who are for those of you who are sitting there talking about roger goodell should have done this and he should have said that please remember that roger goodell just like you and me and everybody else listening to this podcast for the most part we have a boss and we're in working conditions where sometimes, yeah, we don't like some of the decisions that are made. We don't like some of the procedures that are there for our working place, for our work environment. But because we have bills to pay, because we have kids we need to get through school, because we have a roof that needs to be kept over our head, because we need food in a fridge and a lights and gas and all those type of things for our everyday normal life, then we have to go ahead and deal with the bad and along with the good. And I'm quite sure i maybe call me stupid, call me my naive, call me all of these things. But I think that Roger Goodell was the czar in terms of what he could do as far as the NFL is concerned. Some of the rules and policies. I'm quite sure that Colin Kaepernick would have been back in the league. And I'm quite sure that more blacks would have been given opportunities for head coaching positions and general manager's positions. That's, that's, that's my belief. Again, I'm not a fan of, you know, I'm not the president of the Roger Goodell fan club. And I'm not saying that Roger Goodell is perfect. There were some missteps and there were some things that Roger Goodell did as the commissioner, has done as the commissioner that I don't agree with at all. But if we're talking in specifics about what he can do in terms of trying to uh, have the NFL be a willing partner or being a willing participant, in trying to make changes in our country as far as unity and giving black and brown and oppressed and minorities an opportunity uh, from their communities and other walks of life. And even even in the NFL, when Roger Goodell speaks, I believe him. Again, call me naive, call me stupid, call me any little thing, but that's what I believe. I believe the roadblock is really there with the owners. So as far as, you know, his saying that, you know, If Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick wants to come back and play, of course Colin Kaepernick wants to come back and play. If for you wants to sit there and talk about, well, you know, he shouldn't give the NFL the, he shouldn't give the NFL the credibility or he shouldn't allow the NFL to be taken off the hook by him coming back to play and he needs to do what he's doing. For those of you who are telling Colin Kaepernick what to do one way or the other, shut the fuck up! Hey, Colin Kaepernick can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to come back and play football, cool. If he wants to come and come back and be a third stringer and never get on the field again and really not, you know, sit there and really promote his social justice and kneel and all of those type of things. He just, he just wants to be a football player. If he is quote unquote lesson has been learned and for the last few years of, of what he's got in the NFL, whether it be four five or six or seven years left in the NFL, he wants to maximize, trying to be the best quarterback that he can. And he wants to put social matters on the back burner until he retires. Let him do it. He's the one that built the foundation. He's the one that brought these issues to the table. He's the one that invited these issues and brought these issues to the party. He can't do it all by himself. He's done more than enough. He needs a break in terms of saying, look, This is what I've done. These are the things that I brought up. This is my credentials. This is my resume. This is my credibility on what I believe and what I've been doing in the community to make it better. Now for the next three, four, five, six years, I'm just gonna concentrate on football because I lost four years of my prime. So I wanna come back and I wanna dedicate myself. I wanna see what I can do about becoming the best football player that I can. So because of that, as for the time being, Football is going to be number one, not kneeling, not social justice, not police brutality, not discrimination in the communities, none of that kind of stuff. Right now, my efforts are going to be number one on football. If Colin Kaepernick wants to do that, go. Do it, my man. Do it. You gave us the foundation. We've got plenty of others. Thanks through your... Sacrifice, thanks for your, you know, bringing us these issues that can definitely take the ball. Definitely whatever cliche that you want to use, definitely take the torch and still keep going with that movement. And if you decide when your playing days are over, whether it be in three years, whether it be in 10 years, whether you've been a career backup after you came back or whether you became a Super Bowl champion and an MVP, then if you want to go ahead and get back into the movement or get back into the causes, fine awesome. My my admiration for you will not tilt one way or the other. Don't be telling a grown man what to do, especially if you don't know him, especially if you never met him, especially if you never talked to him. If you know him personally, man, don't be sitting there talking about this Colin Kaepernick, you need to do this or Colin Kaepernick, he needs to do that. No, Colin Kaepernick needs to do whatever the fuck he wants. And if it makes him happy, hey, Colin Kaepernick, do what you want to do. And, t- and let you go over to the dark side and start talking some bullshit about, well, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe blacks are lazy and no good and good for nothings and shuffling. If you want to join the Candace Owens group, if you want to join the Larry Elder group, if you want to join those coons and sambos and house Negroes in terms of trying to see what you can do to increase your bank account at the behalf of your soul and yourself in our community, well, then, yeah, in that case, I have a problem with it. But I don't think you'll do that. But for the most part, let Colin Kaepernick do what he wants to do. Stop giving the man advice. Stop talking about he needs to do this or he should do that or he should only come back on these terms or those terms. Don't don't, stop giving Colin Kaepernick advice. Let the man do what he wants to do. He sacrificed Enough for him to do whatever the fuck he wants to do for the next, I don't know, five, ten, fifty years. Wendell's world of sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. One thing about the NFL, kind of, I think about Jerry Jones. Oh, you always bring up that name, huh? It's like for NFL owners, Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, and there's so many other. I don't know what the word controversial. Is the right word to say it? But there's so other. There's so many other. Owners in the NFL that have the ilk that are from the same stain, shall we say, as Jerry Jones in terms of their beliefs, in terms of, you know, what we expect from them as owners. How we're disappointed in them as owners for them not taking a stronger stand or for them not coming down and voicing their opinions and thoughts about what's going on in the civil rights movement that we're having right now. Basically not saying the phrase, not saying those three magic words, black lives Matter, we always go to Jerry Jones, but you know what? As I mentioned before, there's Arthur Blank, there's Dave Tepper, there's um, oh my goodness, there's um, the Fords, who there's the McCaskies, there's so many other owners who are complicit in this silencing. But we always want to throw rocks and throw stones and throw our anger or in our venom at Jerry Jones because he's out there and he's the most visible and he's the most n- noticeable and he's. You know the one that most folks who don't know all of the NFL owners kind of take a look at. So, but uh, you know, I, I find it humorous that that the NFL and the owners would be open to have Colin Kaepernick educate them on what needs to be done to improve the society. Hey, man, the NFL just needs to stay in their own lane and take care of their own house in terms of bringing equality and helping others. That you know, you want you want to know you want to be educated NFL. You want the NFL these NFL owners to be educated on how they can help the community, how they can help bring togetherness and, humanity and and unity, how they can do their part, start hiring some goddamn black head coaches, number one. How about that? As we mentioned before, going into the 2020 NFL season, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Anthony Lynn of the San Diego Chargers, Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins, Ron Rivera of the Washington Rivera Skins are the only minority head coaches. And when you think about The GMs, the general managers, Chris Greer of the Miami Dolphins and Andrew Barry of the Cleveland Browns are the only two general managers who are minorities. So let's start with that bullshit. I don't, I I don't need to have Jerry Jones and any of these other guys going into our communities talking about, "Hey, Black Lives Matter." I doubt your validity. I doubt your sincerity. I doubt your belief to begin with. With all of that kind of nonsense, you know, if Jerry, I don't need the NFL owners to give me a speech. I don't need the NFL owners to come together and talk about Black Lives Matter and we're going to do everything that we can and we're wrong and we are we apologize. I don't, don't don't give me any stuff with words. If you're sorry, if you're genuine in your sorrow and what you've done and everything in terms of not advancing the plight of minorities in terms of, uh, of moving them toward a more fruitful position in this world, if you want to show your Sincerity. If you want to show, you know, how much you care and how down you are now with the movement, don't come up here. I don't need Jerry Jones. I don't need Robert Kraft. I don't need Arthur Blank. I don't need Dan Snyder. I don't need any of these guys to give me a video or to go on ESPN or go anywhere and give me a speech or give me a statement. They're talking about, yeah, we really care. We really care. I don't need that bullshit. What I need for you to do is to start diversifying your organization. Your your franchise, that's what I need for you to do. But as a ownership group, what I need for you to do is start hiring more blacks and more Hispanics and more others who are qualified in qualified positions that normally has not gone to those people. That's what I need for you to do. I don't care about Jerry Jones talking about Black Lives Matter. I don't care if he cares about Black Lives Matter or not. What I do care about is if he can go ahead and give some people of color some opportunities within his organization where it can have some influence upon others and upon the community, that's what I care about. That's what I want to see. I don't. I don't need any of this other bullshit. Hey, look, man. Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, is a Trump supporter and all those type of things. So, on one hand, especially now with this unrest that's going on right now, on one hand, I'm conflicted because what the fuck is Stephen Ross doing? Basically, giving money for the reelection of someone who's going to do nothing to advance the movement of Unity and Harmony and advance the opportunities for black and brown people in oppressed communities, how is he giving money and how is he willing to go ahead and sponsor something like that, but yet and still be one of the few guys in the NFL, the only guys in the NFL, the only coach or owner in the NFL that has a black coach and a black general manager? So we're conflicted here. We're talking about we need more opportunities. We need more opportunities. Stephen Ross is giving opportunities in terms of um a head coach and a general manager but yet still we're going to bash him because what the fuck are you doing basically giving money to a pseudo white supremacist so it's it's you know it's, it's a situation like that so you know I, I don't know i don't know the cleveland browns are the other are the other team with andrew barry now jimmy haslam I mean, what do we say about him? I mean, you know, thank you very much for giving Mr. Barry an opportunity for a uh, chance to be the GM, something that uh, blacks haven't been able to really uh, get into as far as that profession or as far as that uh, job is concerned. But, you know, am I going to have to dig deep and see, you know, who is who you're politically affiliated with? And how do I feel about that? I don't know. I don't know. So for me, it's like, look, as I mentioned before, for this civil rights movement. So, and by the way, even after George Floyd America, uh, black folks, brown folks, oppressed folks, minorities, we know this, but yet and still, you know, even after everything that went down, well, after all of the mar- test, uh, marching, with all the protesting, with all the Black Lives Matter, with all the power fist, with all of the um, things that have been happening in this country in the past couple of weeks concerning the murder of George Floyd by this domestic terri- terrorist that's now in jail and the three co-conspirators, There's black folks who are still being hung in this country. There's still police brutality in this country after everything that went down. So we kind of still need you. We kind of still need you out there on the front lines, even though the summer's coming, even though we don't know what's gonna be happening with this pandemic. Even though when we're talking about two or three or four months down the road, that fall's going to be coming, and you know your lives are going to have to take center stage, and your families are going to have to take center stage, and you have conflicts, and you have issues, and you have things going on in your life that you know need your attention and need your undivided attention and need the ma- majority of your time. Whether we're talking about your family, whether we're talking about your job, or whether we're talking about your well-being, I get all that, but still. Let's not kind of go back into the background. Let's not kind of go back as business as usual with the routine because in America, black lives are still going to matter after all the protesting and the marching is going to stop because guess what? There's still going to be police police brutality. There's still going to be uh, black folks having their civil rights violated. There's still going to be housing discrimination. There's still going to be Karens out there who are talking about calling the police because I saw a black man in my neighborhood. Shit, I used to go sometimes... I used to go to uh, Summerlin and some other places out here in Vegas, just kind of drive around a little bit, kind of go up uh, Flamingo, kind of go up Sahara, kind of go up into the far hills area of town, and just kind of look around and kind of drive through the communities to see all the see how, see how all the rich folks live out there. I don't do that anymore. Because I don't want no motherfucker calling the police talking about there's a guy driving up and down my street going 25 miles per hour in a car that needs black and he's looking around, don't like it, kind of nervous about that, let me go ahead and call the police. I don't do that shit no more. I used to do that wherever I lived, wherever I was hanging out, you know, wherever I was, whatever city I was in. I wanted to see two things when I went on vacation. I wanted to see two things when I was substituting in an area that I haven't been in before. I wanted to see two things when I went to another state or to another community. I wanted to see the poor area, regardless of race, and I wanted to see the rich area, regardless of race. I just wanted to see how both of those communities lived. Well, I still go down to the poor communities now, just to take a look. I still go down to the ghetto. I still go down to the trailer parks. I still drive through the, uh, the, uh, the bad parts of town, wherever I'm at during the day, just to kind of take a look, just to kind of get a look and feel about what's going on from that perspective. But there's one thing I will not do anymore. Morning, new, noon, or night, weekends, weekday, holidays. One thing I will not do anymore is go through rich neighborhoods. Because again, I'm not gonna put myself in a position where black man driving around in driving around in the neighborhood, going up and down the streets, don't like what I'm seeing. The neighborhood watch calls the um, the neighborhood watch calls the police, and I get Tavon, uh, uh, Trayvon Martin. Not gonna do that. I'm not gonna get Sandra Bland. I don't want to get Freddie Gray. I don't want to get you know Michael Gardner. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a statistic. You know, I don't want people marching, marching on my behalf because some fucking asshole cop, some domestic terrorist decided that, you know what, I don't want, I don't like to see this big fat black man driving around in this area, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do something to him that's going to cause some major damage, cause his death. Not Not interested in the possibility, no matter how small or how slim it is, not in the, not in the, um, not in the interest of me to put myself in that position, so... You know, getting back to all of that in terms of these NFL coaches, man, or these NFL owners, man, just go ahead and just do the hiring, learn your role, learn what you can do. And for me, if we're speaking about old white billionaires, for me, your role to make a true impact on what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do to, as far as coming together in this community it's not about giving speeches It's not going ahead and doing a video and saying black lives matter and I'll do better And I'll promise to do better and I'll listen and I'll learn to my black employees and they're like, no, 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 I don't need to hear that bullshit. Go ahead and show me with your actions. Go ahead and show me with your donations. Go ahead and show me to what charities are you sending your billions and your millions of dollars to? What are you doing to help those players on your team that you employ how much are you doing to help them financially to go back into those oppressed communities, which they're gonna do, not you. We don't need rich billionaire owners to go into the inner cities or to go into the uh, uh, communities of the of the uh, oppressed and talk about, I'm standing with you, I'm here for you. No, 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 we don't need you to do that. What we need for you to do is we need for you to give us the money so we can go ahead and we can build some businesses within that community so the black dollar, so the brown dollar could be spent in that community. You know, we need for you to give the money to those who can go ahead into those communities and try to get those schools into a better condition, so we can have more kids graduate from high school from the inner city. We need for those owners to go ahead and give us the money to give us the resources to put computers and to build libraries and to re- renovate basketball courts and to, uh, you know, give us the ability to build rec centers and places of safe haven for kids, so they don't have to be hanging out on the street corner and. Uh, During the day or to get mixed up into some nonsense, basically to give kids something to do other than hang out on the street corner and get themselves into some trouble. What we need is for opportunities to be given and to make sure that we can kind of keep some of the the drugs and some of the other nonsense out of our communities. So instead of trying to sell drugs, instead of trying to make that quick dollar, we can go ahead and have these kids, whether they're working at McDonald's, whether they're working at the mom and pop place, whether they're working anywhere within the community, they can learn a good work ethic, they can earn a dollar, maybe then they can open up a bank account, maybe then they can learn about what it is to have a savings account and a checking account and... In in uh, in um, earning the dollar and realizing the importance of a paycheck and realize the importance of, of of money and what is dealt with that what that's the foundation that's what we need these owners to do in terms of what they can do for the community don't speak speak with your dollars don't speak with your voices speak with your dollars that's what we need these NFL owners to do I don't again for the eighteenth millionth time I don't need to hear. You know, Jerry Jones or anybody else, Robert Kraft or anybody else talk about, oh, yeah, black lives really matter. We really do. And then sit there and not hire any black head coaches or not contribute to any of the local communities that need our help in terms of the money that they can donate. You know, give Malcolm Jenkins a boatload of money for him to go back into the communities and see what he can do. Give Drew Brees a boatload of money so he can go back into the oppressed and brown communities to see what he can do. That's what I'm talking about. That's what these owners can do. Speak with your money and start hiring some black head coaches. Start hiring some black GMs. Start hiring some folks in your management that can make a difference, that can have the fancy title, that can have the fancy room, that can be sitting at the board when they make the important decisions. That's what we need these owners to do. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, man. Only two minorities. Just thinking about that. How about that? There's only two minorities who have roles as, as offensive coordinators. Eric Benamy, Kansas City Chiefs. Byron Leftwich of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Byron Leftwich from Washington, D.C. Yay, yay. So Benamy helped the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. He developed Patrick Mahomes. I mean, have, haven't we seen this before? In terms of the new trend that's happening a couple of years ago or a year ago, when the with the success of Sean McVay, all of a sudden now now young innovative quarterback type coordinators and quarterback coaches were getting jobs, whether it was in Cincinnati or whether it was in other places, Green Bay and Chicago and all these type of places that they were hiring these young. Innovative, uh, Arizona hiring Cliff Kingsbury I and mean, these type of guys. Well, Eric Biondi, except for the color of his skin and maybe his age, because he's not—I don't think Biondi is somewhere in his early to mid 30s. But other than age and race, um, Eric Biondi kind of fits that pattern quite well. He has had a hand, a strong hand, an important hand, a vital hand, in turning Patrick Mahomes into a generational great quarterback already. He's, helped the, uh, he's had an important role in the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and putting up monster offensive numbers. How he was passed over by the Carolina Panthers because the owner, Dave Tepper, instead hired Matt Rule of Baylor University and I think gave him a six-year deal to do it. A guy who had no head coaching NFL head coaching experience. The New York Giants hiring what Bill Belichick's special teams coach, and the Cleveland Browns also passing on enemy, who was interviewed for the job. Am I going to sit there and say that those guys are racist? I don't know. I wasn't there for the interview. I wasn't there for the Matt Rule interview, so and I wasn't there for the Eric Bienemy uh, interview. I don't know anything about David Tepper. I don't know the hiring practices of David Tepper. So I, before I start insinuating or making allegations that Dave Tepper, the only reason why that uh, Eric Bieniemy, or the main reason why Eric Bieniemy wasn't hired to become the head coach of the Carolina Panthers was because the color of his skin before I started making that accusation, before I started going ahead and saying that type of bullshit. I better make sure that, uh, you know, I have a lot more information than I do right now, other than he hired a coach with no NFL head coaching experience. That's the same thing with the Giants and the same thing with the Cleveland Browns. Before I start going ahead and start yelling and screaming of racism and unjust and all this kind of stuff, I want to get a little bit more information in terms of what's going on. But again, Eric Enemy should have a job somewhere. I don't know what the problem is. I'm quite sure race plays a part in it. How big of a role? I don't know. Is that the main reason? Is that one of the main reasons? Is that that a small reason? We have to kind of go ahead and see about what's happening in terms of that is concerned. So I don't know. I don't know. But Eric Biennemi needs to be a head coach in the NFL somewhere. From the lack of knowledge that I have about knowing Eric Biennemi and what his philosophy is and running a football team and everything else. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I mean, I said this before, speaking about the NFL and his hiring practices, I said this before, that um, these guys, they rule, if you want to strengthen the Rooney rule, and it'll never happen, but if I were in charge, if I was the czar, shall we say, of the NFL, this is the one thing I would say, it's like, look, man, you've got, within the next five hires of a head coach, because we can take a look at the Washington Snyder Skins, we could take a look at the Detroit Lions. We could take a look at a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars. We could maybe even take a look at a team like the Cleveland Browns. a Teams who kind of go through their coaching, go through their coaches, you know, very quickly. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't give them a long, doesn't give them a long leash to succeed or fail either way. That if these coaches are going to be doing these type of things, then within the three or four head coaches that you hire, within a period of, say, 10, 15 years, one of them has to be black. Mandated. And we're not talking about interim coaches either, as I mentioned before on my podcast. Don't go ahead if, you know, you've already hired four white head coaches and you know that the next coach you hire has to be black. So if you're three and 11... In the season, and you say, well, we got to go ahead and hire a black coach, but we really don't want to hire a black coach, so what we'll do is, since we're 3-11 and and not going anywhere, we'll fire this head coach right now, we'll make the offensive coordinator or the defensive line coach who's black the interim head coach for the last three games, and that will fulfill the requirement of hiring a black head coach. No, 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 no. No, 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 we're not talking about that. We're talking about no interim bullshit. We're talking about giving the motherfucker. We're talking about giving that coach, that black man, that qualified black head coach, the opportunity one season at the very least. Now, maybe even two seasons at the very least, to unless season number one is a complete and utter disaster, that you have to hire yourself a black head coach. And that's the same thing. With a black GM. Now of course white folks are going to shout. And they're going to scream. And they're going to talk about. Well this is bullshit. And this is uh. This is, you know, affirmative action run amok and, oh, woe is us. And now we're being oppressed and all of this type of nonsense that you heard. Well, when affirmative action was put into place and you heard white men out there talking about this is so wrong and we're so wronged and this is so oppressive. And oh my goodness, you're going to be, be giving black people jobs that they don't deserve and they're not qualified for. And this is so horrible. And this is so ridiculous. No, there's plenty of black coaches as we speak right now. Who would be just as good of, of a head coach as the many number of white head coaches who are mediocre at best, who keep getting jobs, who keep getting jobs. If you take a look at the track record, really haven't done anything, but yet and still they keep getting jobs, they keep getting jobs. Aaron Gates comes to mind. There's plenty of white coaches who have benefited from that system long enough. There are plenty of black head coaches, as we speak right now, who would be just as good as the mediocre coaches who have been sitting around being head coaches for the last two, three, four years. So I don't want to hear that bullshit. And with the start in terms of you have to, if you're going to be, have to hire a black head coach within the five head coaches that you hire. Same thing with the general manager. Well, then the NFL better put in some type of deal in terms of targeting potential uh, uh, black uh, African-Americans, whatever term that you want to use, who have the potential to be head coaches, that have the potential to uh, be general managers. And you better give them the opportunity starting very early. Start them at the bottom. In terms of, you know, a line coach or what, a, a, a assisted coach or some type of thing, assistant ball boy, whatever, start them early. If you identify a coach with a desire or you identify a black man with the desire or even a black woman or a Hispanic woman or a Hispanic male or an Asian male or whatever, any type of minority, a, a, a male of Muslim descent, whatever, whatever minority it may be, you feel that, you know what, this... Guy or gal has the potential to be a really good head coach in the next 10-15 years Or this person has the great potential to lead a football franchise in the next 5-8-12 to to years Let's get them started right now And that person has the willingness And that person has the interest And that person has the desire to go ahead and go down that path of a career Let's get them started ASAP Let's get them started right there and that's the same thing with coordinators. If you see an NFL player who, you know, might be near the end of their career, or even an NFL player who you look like and say, what, because of your size, because of your talent, you know what? I don't think you're gonna be making it long in the NFL, but I know that you love the sport, I know that you love everything about uh football. Would you have any interest in possibly being a position coach? Would you would you have any interest in after we cut you? <laughs> Because of, you know, you're not good enough to make the team. You're a really smart guy. You're a really organized guy. And I can tell that you love the game of football. Would you have any interest in possibly becoming a head coach or possibly becoming an assistant coach with the opportunity if you, if you have it to become a head coach or do you want to become a GM or something like that? Let's get these guys when they're 25, 26, 28, 32, sometimes when their careers over, 35, 36. Let's start getting these black men or Hispanic males or whatever. Let's start getting them in a pipeline so five, 10 years from now we'll have more than enough coaches, potential coaches and GM of minorities that the NFL can choose from. So white folks don't have to feel like, so like, I don't know what the word we're looking for, uh, threatened because any you know affirmative action for that affirmative action for white folks is so for some white folks i'm not going to paint a broad a broad brush broad broad brush and say all of them of course but a decent number of white folks when you say the words affirmative action that's like major league baseball players when you when they hear the word salary cap like no 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 like you know in the in the uh, um baseball everybody's talking about you know prorated salaries and everything and the owners want to give Uh, the players, 99.5% of their salary, and the players are like, no, 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 no! 100%, 100%. If you give us 99.5, that's a salary cap! Nice try! That's a salary cap, and we ain't having it! At the same thing for some, some white folks, when they hear affirmative action, oh, no, 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 affirmative action, no, no! Uh Uh-uh, you're not gonna be dis-, you're not gonna be discriminating against us! No! I know how black folks are out there in terms of what they have to go through, all the bullshit that they have to go through. You're not putting that shit on us! Nah, uh -uh. uh-uh. Mm-mm. No way. We have been the oppressor. We are not going to be the oppressed. Fuck that. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, hey, man, a new time's going to change. And so you got to get used to it. So I I think if I was running the NFL, that's exactly what I would do. So I don't know, man. You have Jim Caldwell who needs another shot. I think Marvin Lewis deserves another shot. I think Leslie Frazier, if these guys really want to become head coaches, I think they should be given the opportunity. I don't think they, they should be, they shouldn't be given the job. They should be given a sincere opportunity to, uh, get those jobs. So yeah, man. So these NFL owners, man, don't, don't worry about again, giving speeches. Just worry about giving us true, sincere opportunities. Wendell's World and Sports the podcast. Wendell Wallace with you. So glad that I can be with you. You know, for those who work in the NFL, as far as in the football operation, for those who work in the NFL office itself, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, can Roger Goodell get a little bit of a pat on the back? Can Roger Goodell get a little handshake? Can Roger Goodell get a, get a little yeah, yeah, for what he's been doing in terms of, you know, the NFL operations, um, working in the NFL league office? I don't know how much sway or I don't know how much gravitas or importance that he has in that. But if you take a look at the diverse backgrounds, if you take a look at those who are working in prominent, important roles in football operations for the NFL, it's awesome. Troy Vincent, you know, former Philadelphia Eagle, who's black, he's the executive vice president of football operations. Dawn uh, Apatone, woman, of course, she's the chief football administrative officer. Dave Garrardi, white guy, but he's the NFL senior vice president of football operations. You have Arthur McAfee, who's black. He's the senior vice president of football operations policy, education and relationship management. You have someone like Tracy Perlman, Senior Vice President of Football Communications and Marketing. You have someone like Albert Al, Alberton Alberton Ripper Riverton, R I V E R R O N River Riveron, whatever. He's Hispanic. He is the Senior Vice President of Officiating. You have Perry uh, Fuel. What is he the coach of the Buffalo Bills? I know that he has some type of uh, connection with the Buffalo Bills. Well, he's the Senior Vice President of of officiating communications and administration. And you have the uh, Tara Holloway, a black woman, who's the vice president of business operations and strategies. Man, that's, that's awesome. That's what I'm talking about. That's utopia for me, that's fantastic. And I'm quite sure none of these guys, none of these women Or none of these black folks, or the Hispanic that's in there, none of these guys got their jobs because they were unqualified, but because someone was feeling sorry for them because of affirmative action or anything like that. No white folks got screwed in terms of these folks of color or these folks of uh, these women getting the type of job. No white man was screwed in this hiring process. These guys, if we're talking about Mark Arthur McAfee, Tracy Pearlman, Carrie Fuel, Natara Holloway, Troy Vincent, I'm quite sure all of these guys, just as much as Dave Garrardy, the white guy, I'm quite sure all of those people earned their position. Donna Pointe earned her position as Chief Football Administrative Operate Officer. No one gave it to her because she was a woman. I'm hoping. I wasn't there for the hiring process, but I'm hoping, I'm assuming that that didn't happen. So that didn't happen. So that's that's what I would like to see a little bit more of. I would love to go into one of these NFL owners and go to their business and see that type of diversity working for them in their upper management positions. I would love when they had a, if, if they had a board of directors meeting that is along with the old rich white guys in there who've been with the company for 20 and 30 or whatever years that you would have women and that you would have Hispanics and that you would have black males and everything and black women and all those type of things. That, that that it would truly be a melting pot. That's what we need. That's the contribution that NFL owners can give. Please, please, Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace speaking with you. So the NFL and their relationships with charity since 1973. Another way that the NFL. Remember, remember when I was talking before about how, you know what, don't give me your voices in terms of, oh, yeah, we'll do better, and oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter, and oh, yeah, Colin Kaepernick, we're sorry, and anybody that we offended, we're sorry. Don't give me that bullshit. Give me your money. Give me your money to help out our communities from these rich billionaire NFL owners. The NFL since 1973, the foundation and what we're talking about, their relationship with charities, the uh, NFL has contributed nearly three hundred and seventy million dollars to charities and youth and youth football programs. For instance, Uh, they just had a four year, 60 million dollar collaboration with General Electric Company and Under Armour to help the head health Initiative, Which aims to improve concussion research, diagnosis, and treatment among athletes, members of the military, and society. And they signed a five-year, $45 million commitment in 2014 to USA football, heads up football health and safety effort, and youth and high school football programs. They've also given $12.5 million to nonprofit science partners to support NFL Play 60. It's an ongoing national initiative to increase the wellness of young fans since play 60 was launched in 2007 the NFL has committed more than 300 million to youth and fitness through programming grants and media time for public service so Public service announcements. So, look, millions more in grants for youth sports and after school and other programs, including support of the NFL players, uh, uh, you know, th- uh, endeavors in terms of giving back to the community. So, yes, there is a pulse. So, yes, there is some evidence that, yes, the NFL owners do give out some money, that the NFL owners aren't cheap with their money, that some of these NFL owners are somewhat kind of sort of kind of sincere about doing some things that'll help out the community. Now, you can be a cynic, and you can sit there and be like, oh, yeah, well, take a look at some of the shit that they're giving money to. Heads up football, health and safety effort effort for youth and high school football programs. Yeah, NFL play 60. Yeah, that's all, you know, that's all basically kind of within their same sphere in terms of, you know, heads up football, the concern about concussions and everything doing damage to their business because the argument will come up that you know what mommy moms don't want their son to be playing football because it's too dangerous and if they go to another sport sport that's going to hurt the NFL product done down the line so yes the NFL is going to be investing millions of dollars into youth football and and all of those type of things because they want those great athletes at the youth level to fall in love with the game of football so they can go ahead and play football and they can convince mom and dad that it's safer than it was before to play football that we can get Those next great athletes. So the next Lamar Jackson will go ahead and play football and not at a young age decide that he wants to play basketball and fall in love with baseball because his mom didn't permit him to play football at the youth leagues because the NFL or because the game of football was too unhealthy or too or not safe enough for their son. So, yes, the NFL, if you're speaking about the USA football, if you're speaking about NFL Play 60, yes, you can be a cynic and yes, you can talk about the glass being half empty and go in that direction in terms of the thought, in terms of your thoughts and opinions about where the charitable dollars of the NFL owners go to. But I'll tell you what, Malcolm Jenkins and, and Aunt Quan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald and all these other folks who are at the front line, Colin Kaepernick, Who's at the front line right now in terms of seeing what we can do to improve uh, underprivileged, underdeveloped, underutilized, disrespected communities of color? Guess what, man? Some of that millions upon millions of dollars that the NFL sends for youth sports, after school, and other programs, as, 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 as you know, it can go to the uh, BLM, it can go to Black Lives Matter, it can go to the NAACP. You want to give some of that money away or you want to give some of that money for the good of our community, for the good of our country, for the good of our planet, for the good of everything and give you a pat on the back and give you an attaboy? I mean, hell, maybe you can do this stuff and maybe you can go to the NAACP and say, hey, look what I've done for... For this community or for that community, or look how much I've contributed in terms of the money to give to Anquan Bolden or to give to Malcolm Jenkins or to give to any of the uh, black football players to go back into the community and build the school, to go back into the community and build the barbershop, to go back into the community and build the shopping mall, to go back into the community and have the ability to give scholarships, to give to have the money to afford scholarships for these number of Graduating high school seniors from this predominantly black inner city school, come on, NAACP, give me some love, give me a pat on the back, give me an award, give me something to where I can go back to the white community and say, "See, I told you I'm doing something." So when we're speaking about these owners, these rich billionaire white owners, giving money to the Black Lives Matter movement, giving money to the NAACP, giving some money to the Black Girls uh, Code which is on a mission to increase the number of black women working in computer programming. They're hosting after school workshops. The organization plans to train 1 million young black women in the field by 2040. Hey, I want, instead of 1 million, let's make it 10 million. Can the NFL go ahead and contribute to that? Common Ground Foundation. Rapper Common, not Common Sense. He changed his name from Common Sense to Common. He founded this organization in the 1990s to provide greater opportunity for underserved children through mentorship, community service, and the arts. Come on, man, Common from Chicago. Come on, McCaskies. Let's see what we can do. Now, I don't know exactly where this organization is based from, but just to you know, further the argument of what I'm talking about, if this is mainly going to be rooted, say, for instance, in Common's hometown of Chicago. Come on, McCaskies, donate five million, donate three million, donate something, donate some money so we can go ahead and uh, improve the opportunities for these for this uh, for this foundation. Let's do this. Give some money to incite women of color against violence. Incite works to end violence against women of color through organizing events, conferences, circulating newsletter and strategic political initiatives. The Trayvon Martin Foundation aims to spread awareness of the consequence of gun violence and caters to families affected by the gun violence. That's what the NFL owners can do, along with NFL Play 60 and these other things that you're doing. If Roger Goodell Goodell holds meetings, long meetings, with some of the leaders in the black communities who play football in terms of what we can do, the NFL has given money. ...for the NFL to go into the communities and help rebuild or to help in any way, shape, or form. Look, man, I'm not saying that these guys are awesome and these guys are fantastic and these guys are white, old-skinned Martin Luther Kings. I'm not saying that at all. But I also don't want to go ahead and go on the completely other end and completely demonize these guys that, you know, these guys that Jerry Jones and all of these other guys are having Klan members over for breakfast, lunch, and dinner... And talking about what we can do to keep the black man down and keep the black man in change. I'm, I'm, so sometimes I think the rhetoric when it comes to these NFL owners, while they should be taken to task, while they should be questioned in terms of their hiring practices, while they should be, you know, uh, they, they, they should be uh, questioned and interrogated in terms of why are you not doing more, why you could not be doing more, what is your path? For you not doing more. What is your reasons for you not doing more? What's your attitude? What's your philosophy? What are your opinions? While each one of these 32 owners need to go through that scrutiny. I do believe that. I also do not think to take it all the way to the other edge that all of these owners are just, you know, keeping the black man down, keeping the black community down, this, that, and the other. If folks were so upset about Colin Kaepernick not being in the NFL. Remember that outrage, this is horrible and this is terrible. Well, you know, one of the reasons why the owners got away with it, and one of the reasons why Colin Kaepernick is in the position right now, it's because of the black community. It's because of those who wanted to see change who were outraged, who were horrible, this is terrible, this is horrible, who spoke about it, who wrote about it, who in the community were leaders about it. We are all complicit in this. I'm complicit in this. I contributed to Colin Kaepernick not being in the league and being put in the position that he is. I'm somewhat responsible because I still watch football. I still go to the NFL sponsors and buy their products. I'm the one who contributes to the television ratings by watching. I'm the one who is talking about the NFL and hopefully drawing interest in the sport. So if I was so upset... If I was so put off and I really wanted to do something, I really wanted to protest, I really wanted to show my anger and my disgust at the NFL for what they did with Colin Kaepernick, then I shouldn't have been watching football. Then I shouldn't have been doing anything as far as supporting the advertisers who support the NFL. I shouldn't have been doing any of that stuff. I should have had a podcast or I should have been talking about shit. Anything else other than football. I should have been going ahead and talking about my Georgetown Hoyas, morning, noon, and night, along with the NBA, along with college basketball, heading back to the uh, UFC, maybe talking a little tennis, and then going back to Georgetown University and maybe talking about baseball. I should have done that and just completely ignored football. And if people ask, why am I not talking about the Dallas Cowboys? Why am I not talking about Lamar Jackson? Why am I not talking about the upcoming games of the week? Why am I not talking about the NFL playoffs? Why are you not mentioning anything about football? I can give my reasons. Because until the NFL does right, until these owners do right, do the right thing, and I'm not talking about the Spike Lee movie, which was great, until these owners do the right thing and put Colin Kaepernick back in the league, I am not speaking, I am not contributing, I am not doing anything to promote football, to promote the NFL. That's my grievance. That's my protest. That's the small, probably highly insignificant thing that I can do to show my anger and to show my disgust at how these rich, white NFL owners treated this black man who was doing nothing more than kneeling and protesting and demonstrating and bringing awareness to what's happening in the oppressed communities as far as what police brutality is concerned at the foundation for his kneeling. He wasn't being anti-American, he wasn't doing any of that stuff. And for you guys to go ahead and to shut him like this, fuck you guys, I'm done with that. I could have done that. You could have done that. We all could have done that. We didn't do it. The NFL felt no repercussions for ostracizing, for ruining the great opportunities, being in his physical and mental prime of Colin Kaepernick. The NFL suffered no no casualties. They didn't suffer any type of loss long-term as far as their money-making process is concerned. So if you're an NFL owner, why are you, why, if they don't give a fuck, why should they bring back Colin Kaepernick now? What? Because you guys are going to threaten, you guys are going to boycott, but because the players are going to be angry, Malcolm Jenkins and Eric Reed and all of those guys—they were so upset about Colin Kaepernick being uh, kicked out of the out of the league for kneeling and doing all that kind of stuff—they should have played in Canada, or they should have retired, or they should have joined Ka- uh, Kaepernick, or maybe they should have tried to organize other players to take a stand. Maybe they could have gotten some of these other players to strike because of that. Maybe they could have been more vocal. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? But we didn't do enough as a group for these NFL owners to do anything to say, well, you know what? Maybe it's a situation where maybe we need to bring them back because it's all predicated on money. Because the fucking asshole in the White House, that piece of shit, what he was talking about, You know, Colin Kaepernick needs to be kicked out of the league and all of those kind of stuff and the owners placated and bowed down it wasn't just the jackass that's in the the White House right now it was also threats from the community, it was also a situation where they had the the season ticket holders were talking about if you go ahead and you get this guy on your team I'm not going to be buying those season tickets I won't be buying your merchandise I won't be going to your games that's another reason why Colin Kaepernick Was done like he did And by the way before I go to break For all you fucking idiots out there During that time Who were burning your gear Who were burning the jerseys who were throwing away their jackets for all of those guys because Colin Kaepernick wasn't American enough because Colin Kaepernick was anti-American. You remember those I- idiots who would go ahead on YouTube to show how proud of an American they are, how much they bleed red, white, and blue, and how much they wrap themselves around the American flag and the American ideals and how so proud they are to be an American, bring up the Bruce Springsteen song. You know, re- remember all of those YouTube clips of those jackasses doing that? I remember some group doing that with Kansas City gear I remember people doing that with Pittsburgh Steelers gear and I used to always sit there and I used to shake my head and I used to say You stupid, ignorant motherfuckers. If you're so goddamn gung-ho about trying to show how USA awesome you are and how about red, white, and blue fantastic you are and how you're such Mr. American and all this kind of stuff and how you're going to show Colin Kaepernick and other of these agitators and protesters about how strong of a American that you are and how much you love this country and how much you believe for this country. Instead of you fucking idiots throwing away and burning your merchandise, like your jackets and your t-shirts and everything like that. Instead of doing that, why don't, if you're not going to be supporting the NFL or if you're not going to be supporting your team, why don't you take that gear down to the homeless shelter and say, look, I don't want this shit no more, but I'm quite sure there's plenty of people if we're talking about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in February, I'm quite sure there's plenty of people right now who are homeless, who are down on their luck, who don't know where their next meal is coming from, life is treating them wrong, so they're in a horrible position, no fault that they're on, maybe I can help out by saying, look, I don't want this shit anymore because of what the Colin Kaepernick situation is, with the kneeling situation, I don't want it, but you know what, that guy might be able to use it, or that kid in that homeless shelter with their family, but they might be able to use my t-shirt or they might not be able to use my jersey or you know that guy who fought in vietnam or that guy who's a uh who's a uh, uh, gulf coast vet who's suffering from you know post-traumatic syndrome and because of that he's out on the streets and he needs somebody to give him something he needs somebody to lend him a hand for real look i don't want this kansas city jacket anymore because of what they're doing with kaepernick but he can have it maybe you motherfuckers should have thought a little bit and started instead of trying to have it be all about yourself and trying to show people how big your dick is by going ahead and burning your merchandise and burning your clothes or burning the uh, clothing of that team. Instead of destroying it like that, give it to somebody who fucking needs it. Idiots. I never understood that. I mean, these guys put it on YouTube and everybody was just dancing around like, yeah, woo-hoo! burn, baby, burn. Yeah, that's what we think of Kaepernick. Yeah. USA, USA, USA. I'm not, I'm not quite sure there's some guy, there's some vet sitting on the street freezing because he doesn't have a winter coat saying, damn, I could use, I could use that. It's going to be 25 degrees tonight in Pittsburgh. It's going to be 15 degrees tonight in Kansas City. I don't have a place to stay. I don't have anywhere to go. And I don't have any clothing to, to wear to deal with this. And you motherfuckers out there in Overland Park out there burning it. And then dancing around talking about how cool you are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, oh, the world, interesting place. But getting back, yes. So, this whole thing wraps up with, look, again, the NFL owners, please, I, don't worry about making a statement as far as with your voice and far, as far as with your words. Please, if you want to show us for real that you're down with the civil rights movement, and how you can be um, an advocate, and how you can make a positive impact, don't show me with your words. Show me with your money. world of sports i'm your host wonder wallace so glad that you could be with us i hope you're doing well for those who are listening in australia good day for those who are listening into the united states what is happening for those who are listening in latin america que pasa isn't that que pasa what met? i don't know screw it for those who are listening say in paris bonjour bonsoir whatever Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wolf. I'd just like to come back with a little bit of flair. You know, how how boring is it to be Wendell's World of Sports? Let's go to our next topic. No! Show a little personality. I keep telling my buddy who's doing a podcast, and he talks like this. And I'm bringing on 55 guests, and I'm going to try to put them all in in under an hour or two. My next guest is he is great. Wow. He is such an inspiration. He has coached and he uh is a movie, does something with movies. Let's bring him on. John Smith. Hey, John. Glad that you could be on. Well, it's really great to be on. It's a pleasure. It's an honor and uh, This is going to be real. This is going to be something that we'll never forget. I agree. Speaking about what's happening in the world, this is going to be an historic podcast. I can't wait. I'm bubbling over right now with excitement and anticipation. My life and my daughter's life will never be the same. By the way, at the end of this program, I am going to give you my thoughts feelings and emotions about how I feel about what's going on in the world I'm very emotional about it and you'll hear it when I speak like this at the end of the (laughs) So no, man, I'm telling them to bring it up, bring it up, show some personality Tell me me a little about yourself, come on, come on, let's go, let's do this Jeez, welcome to the sports, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us he knows what I'm talking about. I talk, talk about it with him all the time. So the latest on the Major League Baseball nonsense. Oh, boy. Well, sources have told ESPN's Buster Olney, this was on Wednesday, that Major League Baseball has sent a proposal for a 60-game season at full pro uh, prorated pay to the Major League Baseball's Players Association following a four-hour negotiation in Phoenix between the leaders Tuesday Baseball emerged believing the framework of a deal had been agreed upon. But Bill Shelkin, as I was reading of the Los Angeles Times, he reported that the players felt 60 games wasn't enough of an increase from the league proposed or league imposed 50 game schedule. And also the league offered 72 games last week, but that wasn't at 100% as far as their pay is concerned, prorated. So... You know, if the owners and the players can't get a deal done, the league has the ability to implement a season of its desired length, likely around 50 games. This was per a March 26th agreement between the sides. Here, and I was I was listening. I'll give credit where credit is due. I was listening to Buster Olney's uh, podcast, and he had on Carl Ravage, and they were talking about this stuff. And basically, if you're looking to find a villain – between the owners or the players or, you know, who's the bad guy, who's the heel and who's the face in the situation. It's like, you know, one group that's kind of being left out in terms of the, some of the blame that should be put on is the lawyers and the agents. If you really think about it, because the main roadblock between Major League Baseball and, and the Players Association and Ravage and Lonely uh, were putting it down very well, very, uh, very well, is that the the prorated Uh, pay based on an agreement the two sides made in march was it was never really it was never really like finalized in terms of what that deal was all about in terms of the prorated pay based on you know an agreement that was made in march the union maintains that the deal included language guaranteeing players full Pro-rated salaries depending upon the number of games that were played meanwhile the owners are talking about no that was talking about you know the pro-rated salary was, was talking about you know taking into the account that we're not going to be having any fans in the stadium so this is a whole new situation you know what i'm talking about it's like yeah you know we were going to give you 100 of the you know of your salary based on how many games that we played but we didn't take into the account that we were going to be playing without any type of fans. And we're talking about a revenue stream for us that we give to you guys, a portion of it that we give to you guys. Well, it's close to a billion dollars, right? If you count the amount of, of finances or you count the account, the amount of money that was made from gate receipts and everything we're talking about last year, we're talking about, a billion dollars in a league that made 11 billion dollars or 10.7 billion dollars. So we have to account that into, you know, how much money we're going to be paying you or the percentage of money that we're going to be paying you. And the owners are like, no, nah, man, fuck that. No, I don't care if they're playing in front of a full house or we're playing in front of nobody. We need a 100% of our money, which we guarantee to on that March agreement. And the owners are saying, no, that wasn't agreed to. So Buster and Ravage were sitting there talking about how the hell do you even move on with negotiating talks and everything like that when right out the box, when right out the bat, when just the foundation of what we're going to be moving on is not clearly defined and not clearly understood by both sides of the uh, situation. So we're talking about the owners and the players are not moving from their positions. This past Tuesday, you know, we're not—they're not moving. They're not doing it, so we don't know. So I don't—if the—are if the, the players willing to die on that hill? Because it seems to me like this is going to be a win for the owners, and I don't know. I mean, Trevor Bauer came out with something and talked about this was bullshit. Max Serger talked about it, saying it was bullshit. There's been people online. People in social media, the players talking about what the owners are doing is stall tactics and his nonsense. And Rob Manfred is taking a beating because of this, because first he was talking about, you know, the um, when um Carl Ravage on ESPN asked how many, you know, will the season start on time? And the commission said, oh, yeah, no, 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 no question. 100%. And then about a week later, he comes back and says, well, the season's in real jeopardy. The owners are like, man, fuck you, man. You know that's bullshit. You know that's a scare tactic. That's just a negotiating ploy. And you're going to be doing that bullshit through the media and not do it face-to-face, man-to-man? That's nonsense, man. That's that's the, the owners and the players, no trust. Zero trust. They have no trust, no like, no relationship, no nothing. And as they said on baseball tonight, as Alley said, as Butler only said, there's a situation where I'm quite sure there's going to be a come, a, going to come a time if the players keep acting like that where the owners are just going to be like, you know what? Fuck you. We're going to be doing it. This is what we're going to be doing and we're just going to wait you out. And guess what? We have more money than you do. So if, if that means we have to cancel the 2020 season, so be it. If that means we have to cancel the 2021 season because of this nonsense, so be it. We have a lot more money than you do. And when you guys finally cave and come back, we can go ahead and we can resume the talks and do it on a much more, I guess, owner-friendly based terms or whatever, but, you know, all, but Buster made that uh, made that statement or made that uh, thought, and it was like, yeah, I can see that, I, I'm quite sure, if you take a look at some of the small market owners, I'm quite sure, it's like, let's just end the season, why, why are we going ahead with this nonsense, why are we even talking about 50 games, 60 games, 65 games that prorated 100%, let's just end the season, man, and then You know, we come to the negotiating table in 2021, and we'll just go on from there. And if you're the players, I mean, isn't it just time to say, look, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, salary cap, salary cap. We need the salary cap. But are you guys really going to die on that hill? Because the owners were first like, look, we'll play 81. First it was like 114, and then it was 81. And then it was 72 and it was just a matter of you'll get 70% of your salary, 85% of your per rate of salary. You know, at the number of games went down, the percentage of the salary that were going to be committed by the owners to the players went up, but it's getting to the point now where, as I mentioned before, and my other podcasts, the owners are talking about, let's try to dupe the players by putting the number five. So we'll just, first we'll come out with, Okay. 10 minus 5. Okay, then we'll come up with 12 minus 7. Okay, we'll come up with 22 minus 17. Okay, we'll change it again and we'll come up with 4 plus 1. Everything, and the players are sitting there saying, man, fuck you, man. Everything that you're coming up with equals 5. We don't want 5. We want 7. Okay, you want 7. 5, 5. We can't do 7, but what we can do is 13 minus 8. No, that still equals 5. So it's a situation like that. And the players, it's going to get down to, yeah, we got 100% of our salaries, but we're only going to be playing 60 games, which is the equivalent of us playing 72 games at the prorated salary that the owners first tried to get us at. And I understand that there's the health issue that's involved in this in terms of, you know what, if instead of playing 72 games, you play 60 games, which means you know, there's 12 less chances of someone coming down with a coronavirus or something like that. And even after all of this is done in terms of deciding who gets what and how many games are going to be played and all this kind of stuff, isn't there still going to be the situation of what are they going to do for testing? Where are the games going to be played? What are the parameters that are going to be set in terms of what's going to be happening because of this virus? Where are the players are going to be sitting? Are there going to be people in the stands? Um, what about, you know, such situation as the... You know, First baseman holding the runner on at first base, and you know the the catcher, the amount of distance he's going to need to be from the umpire, from the batter. I mean, all of this other stuff. Are players going to be sitting on the benches wearing masks? Are there going to be masks for the players when they come up the bat? Because as I mentioned before, the the uh, uh, how close they're going to be to the catcher. Are players going to be in the field wearing masks? All of this type of stuff is going to be happening. How many times are the players going to be tested? Are the players going to be playing and their home field? Are they going to be? Is there going to be realignment? I mean, there's so many other things that baseball has to deal with that I don't know, man. I don't know. But at this point in the game, I don't give enough. I don't care enough about baseball to really give a fuck. In terms of if it comes back, I'll watch. If it doesn't, I won't care. And I've already explained my reasons in my pr- previous podcast why my love for baseball has dwindled over the year. Pays to play, deals with a lot of it. Probably the main, probably the lack of black players in the game. That's a reason, but that's not the main reason why I don't watch baseball anymore. I love men's tennis. There's hardly any black people playing tennis. But I'll watch Roger Federer, my favorite athlete, going on right now. I'll watch Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal and Dominic Team and. And uh, all those guys, I'll watch those guys play all night long. I don't need to have a black player in tennis for me to love the game of tennis. I got Novak Djokovic. I don't need to have, you know, the LeBron James of tennis. Or I don't need to have the superstar dominating guy in, uh, in tennis to be black for me to love the game. So th- the fact that there's not enough black baseball players, that's not the main reason why Though my, my love for the sport is dwindling to the point where. I like it and no longer love it like I used to when I was a child growing up and watching George Foster, yeah, but it's just a matter of the pace of play, it's too fucking damn slow, Jeez, that's what's kills me, blaming on the internet, blaming on instant this, blaming on the microwave, blaming on the fact that I've been inundated, that I've been conditioned for years, that I want, uh, I want... My stuff, and I want it fast and I want it quick. You know, I'm like J.G. Wentworth, I want my money and I want it now. Well, that's kind of like I want my baseball. I want to be played fast, and I want the pitcher to throw the ball to the catcher, and I want the batter to get back in the batter's box, and I want the reliever to stop walking around the mound and feeling up the baseball and adjusting his crotch and spitting and adjusting his hat and taking a deep breath and taking a look at the catcher to get the sun and then getting back into the motion and then taking a deep breath and then stepping off the mound and then doing the whole routine all over again. I don't want to – this shit just wears me out. And I don't want to see the batter after he's fooled when he's thinking – Fastball, and he swings when it's a curveball or a changeup and it fools him and makes him look stupid and he has to get out of the batter's box and he has to take a look at the bat and he has to take a deep breath and he has to adjust his crotch and he has to spit and he has to look down at the third base coach and he has to adjust his hat and he has to take another deep breath and he has to put one foot in the batter's box and adjust his batting gloves and put the other foot back into the batter's box and he has to do the Willie Stargell and he has to do his routine. I don't... Throw the fucking pitch! Stay in the batter's box! Long time ago, I watched a 1968 game between the Detroit Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Gibson versus Mickey Lowlich was pitching. And it was like, these guys were moving, man. I mean, you know, Bob Gibson got the ball, took a look at Tim McCarver for the camp for the sign, took a deep breath, and then threw the ball. You know, the guy was in the batter's box, Kurt Flood, whoever was there, Lou Brock, whoever was there. They got themselves in the batter's box. They took the pitch, swing. Made them look silly, foul ball, whatever. Never left the batter's box. Stayed in the batter's box. That's beautiful. The game of baseball itself is a beautiful game. I love the game of baseball itself. It's just this other bullshit that slows this shit down, which gets on my fucking nerves. I love to see Mike Trout play. I love to see Bryce Harper play. I love to see... Uh, Jose Altuve play I love to see Mookie Betts play I love to see Max Serger pitch I love to see Clayton Kershaw pitch Still Love that stuff Don't love anything about the New York Yankees I love to see the Washington Nationals Winning game and winning championships That's awesome But Pick up the speed of the fucking game And I've got three hours to watch The Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees Play a nine inning game That's going to last me Four hours and 50 minutes Jeez The only thing that should be long and rambling in life are on my (laughs) podcast. And I do that quite well, goddammit. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wall. is so glad that you could be with us. Nah, but see, that's just... So, for me, it's a matter of, look, man, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know about baseball. But, look, baseball is a multi-billion dollar business. Plenty of fans. Plenty of people love the sport the way it is. So, you know... Keep doing what you're doing, I guess. If it's going to make you $11 billion, I think that you could speed it up a little bit and do some other things and put the more black folks in the game and maybe have a black manager or two or six or eight or something like that, and, and maybe your pie will grow and maybe the potential of you earning more money will grow by billions, but I don't know, man. I'm not a business whiz. I didn't go to Harvard Law or anything like that, and so I don't know the inner workings of baseball in terms of you know what they can do to grow the sport. I know they have the RBI I know they have initiatives to try to get Blacks involved in baseball and such. But, you know, I don't know, man. You want to hear my rant and raving about baseball, go back to my last podcast. It's pretty well, pretty well gave my thoughts and feelings about that. Right, right. Plus, I need more downloads. The more downloads I can get, the better for me. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I do want to do this because I was criticizing baseball the other day about them not coming out. I was criticizing the players about not coming out and saying anything in terms of Black Lives Matters, what's going on, the current civil rights movement that's going on right now. So I was criticizing, and I criticized Aaron Judge, and I criticized a couple of others. Well, this past Tuesday, current and recent Black Major League Baseball players, they banded together in a video to show support for Black Lives Matters and basically asked fans to join them. I thought it was well done. I thought it was heartfelt. I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you had guys such as Judge, thank you very much, Aaron. CeCe Sabathia, Prince Fielder, Giancarlo Stanton, Jason Hayward, thank you. Matt Kemp, Andrew. Matt Kemp is still playing baseball? Man, I lost completely lost track of him after he was traded to San Diego. Andrew McCutcheon, Jackie Bradley Jr., Dexter Fowler, Adam Jones, Mookie Betts, Curtis, Curtis Granderson. Wow. Uh, Marcus Stroman, David Price. These guys made a fantastic heartfelt video and this is what it sounded like
1: we've been told that our peaceful pleas were not made at the right time at the right place in the right way we've been told to wait but we remember when dr martin luther king jr warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never we will wait no longer we'll make our voices louder for all of us who can and for all of those who could not Eight minutes and 46 seconds is enough time to lift a knee. To do what is right. To say something.
0: To acknowledge the pain of the black community. You have cheered for us. But we need you to cheer with us now.
1: When we need you most. Black Black Lives lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Lives Lives Matter. Matter. Black Lives Matter. It's our cheer for change. It's your cheer for us. It's these cheers
0: that will unite us.
1: One team. One dream.
0: Be the change. Very well done. We've been told that our peaceful pleas were not made at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. We've been told to wait, but we remember when Dr. Martin Luther King warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never. We will wait no longer. We will make our voices louder for all of us who can stand for all of those who can, who could not. 8 minutes, this is fantastic right here. 8 minutes and 46 seconds is enough time to lift a knee to do what is right, to say something, to acknowledge the pain of the black community. You have cheered for us, but we need you to cheer with us now when we need you the most. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter is our cheer for change. It's your cheer for us. It's these cheers that will unite us. One team, one dream. Be the change. Awesome, man. Fantastic. That was awesome. I don't know who wrote that for him, but I don't know, I I don't know, but that was just great. It was wonderful. Baseball, whoever did this, did a fantastic job. So it was well worth the wait. I mean, I could be selfish and sit there and talk about, man, why couldn't you put this out before NASCAR? But no, 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 no. I thought it was fantastic. You guys did a wonderful job. Great job. Very much appreciated. 42 players are shown saying Black Lives Matter, the number that carries extra symbolism in baseball, because as you know, if you don't know, let me tell you, it was the jersey worn by the great, the legendary, the fantastic Jackie Robinson, who became the first African-American major leaguer in 1947. You know, so I have no qualms, no problems about that video and the message that is sent and the way that it was delivered. I thought, fantastic. Here's my only thing that disappointed me about that video. Where was the best player in the game since Barry Bonds, Mike Trout? Where was he in that video? Where was Bryce Harper, who I believe wants to be the LeBron James of Major League Baseball in terms of his impact on the sport in society and to build that brand? You know what I'm talking about? Where, where was, where was he in this video? Where, where was Chris Bryant or Cody Bellinger or Kristen Yelich, Anthony Rizzo, Clayton Kershaw, Alex Bregman, Peter Alonzo, Mark Aguirre, Cal Ripken? Where were those? Type of players in that video Now you can sit there and say well where was Barry Bonds Well where was Willie Mays Where was Hank Aaron Where was there's a lot of you know, There's a lot of vessels that we can go down There's a lot of avenues that we can go down When we're talking about true American Warriors or true American um, Patriots and true American Superstars as far as the History of baseball is concerning Willie Mays is still living Hank Aaron is still living Those guys are national treasures not just in sports, especially when you talk about Hank Aaron. I mean, holy shit damn alive. I mean, so, I mean, you're speaking about someone who, like like Cal Ripken Jr., who's a treasure. You're, you're speaking about, I mean, hell, I would even try to get Pete Rose. Fuck it. He's trying to get back into the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, wouldn't that help in terms of him bringing more fans to his side about putting him into the Hall of Fame? I mean, I would try to get every Hall of Fame player that I could, black, white, white, Hispanic? I don't give a fuck. David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, uh, Derek Jeter, um, Mariano Rivera. I don't give a fuck. Anybody who wants to come on down, great. Because that video was so well done. I mean, if you want to pull out another six or seven of them, great. Great for me. I think it would be awesome. I think it would be great for everybody. But my point is, is that again, it was awesome to see the black ball players of baseball do that past and present. But where were their white brothers and sisters? Well, not sisters. There, you know, women playing base- baseball. But where were the, where were their teammates of a different color from a different community? Where were they? The words that were coming from the mouths and hearts of those players, they're just as or even more impactful than those from the black players. So what I'm saying is if the, the if Chris Bryant and Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Kristen Yelich and Clayton Kershaw and Anthony Rizzo. If those guys would have said those words, black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives matter. If those guys would have said those things, eight minutes and 46 seconds is enough time to lift the knee, to do what is right, to say something, to acknowledge the pain of the black community. But we remember when Dr. Martin Luther King warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never. We will wait no longer. Do you know how much impact for the white community that would have, if Clayton Kershaw said that, if Kristen Yellich said that, white baseball fans who go to the ballparks in Kansas City and in Milwaukee and in uh, Chavez Ravine and the new Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park and Wrigley Field and down there in Florida and in and, and, and Dallas, Texas. Do you know the, the, the buying public or the paying public or the season ticket holders in the baseball-loving city of St. Louis, truly a baseball town, talking about St. Louis, Missouri, do you know how much impact that would have, do you know how much of a (sighs) impact, I'll keep using that word, it would have if Anthony Rizzo said that to the white community who go to Wrigley Field? If Mike Trout would have said that to the white Patriots who went to uh, Anaheim Stadium to see them play? If Bryce Harper could have said that to those who go to the National Ballpark to watch the Washington National play along with Matt Scherzer? Do you know how much more of an impact that would have if they said you cheer for our black brothers when we needed you to cheer for us now we need to cheer with you now that whole that whole spiel we white ball players will make our voices louder for all of us who can hear for all of those who could, who could not speaking about the black community here's this the black community has been singing that song for decades the black community don't, don't need don't need to hear nothing when it comes to you need to give us a break when you need to acknowledge the pain of our community when you need to acknowledge the uh injustices continuing with police brutality when it comes to our communities black folks don't need to hear that black folks aren't aren't like sitting there talking about we really need change really really i mean we really don't want uh, white police officers or police officers in general whipping our ass and murdering us and violating our rights you mean you're going to try to tell us that we need some change to the justice system so we can get the same amount of justice as anybody else really You mean to tell me that, you know, we live in a community where, you know, we might need to have more opportunities to do some things that we're always being put last on the list of things to do when it comes to the betterment of our communities? You mean we really need to have a change in that? I had no fucking idea, said the black person down in the West Las Vegas. I mean, come on. So the white folks and those from the other communities who might not have any type of connection any knowledge about what's going on. That's who needs to hear this message. And they're more apt to listen to the message that's coming from someone who looks like them, who has the same skin color as them. This is the same thing for black, black folks. Black folks probably would take a message a little bit better or would take it a lot better if it came from the mouths of someone who looked like him from the same background. Same with Hispanic folks, same with Jewish folks, same with Asian folks, same with folks who are gay same deal. It's not, this is not just a white person thing where, you know, every other community is just open and listening to the other thoughts and feelings about the community, this, that, and the other. No, it's kind of like human nature. You know what I'm saying? You know, most times, most times and most folks from the community are going to look like those who look like the kin folks, the skin folks. You know what I'm saying? So it would have been much better, I think, if Again, a much more impactful and much more powerful. If I mentioned before, some of the white, great baseball players could have lend their voices to say those words also, because again, we're all in this together, man. I mean, I I hate to say this, and this is where white athletes, when they talk about what we can do to help the cause, I'm even going to bring it even farther past white athletes. But even white folks in general, if you want to really understand why this is so important, why it should be so important to you, because I know... There's a lot of white folks out there sitting there talking about, well, you know, I mean, I don't live in a community where these type of things happen. You know, I'm a white guy, so I'm never going to be pulled over and be harassed or be murdered or be violated because of the color of my skin. Not let the guy, not let the cop be black and he's talking about payback's to bitch. But for the most part, I can understand that, you know, I have the, I have the feeling, I have the safety in my heart to know that a white officer is not going to pull me over just to fuck with me because of, my, because of the color of my skin. You know, I understand that. I understand that in the criminal justice system, I understand as far as getting a job, I understand that I have privileges that other folks don't. And if I don't understand it, well then, you know, still I have that, I have that within me. So why should police brutality, why should housing discrimination, why should criminal justice discrimination and then reform, why should unemployment discrimination, inequality in the public schools, the lack of extracurricular activities down on the west side of Las Vegas or down on the north side of las vegas or down in the urban poor areas in los angeles or in uh, chicago or in uh, you know auburn alabama or montgomery alabama or columbia south carolina or You know, any of these places, why should I give a fuck? Why should I give a fuck about what's happening in Roxbury and Boston? Why should I give a fuck about what's happening down in the inner city of Minnesota? Why should I give a fuck about what's happening down in those places? The barrios uh, or or the the, the barrios of Salt Lake City or something like that. Why should I give a fuck? Because eventually, y'all, that shit's going to swing back around. You don't think, it's been centuries, it's been a long time that blacks and Hispanics and others have been catching hell from those who are oppressors, but you do realize that sooner or later, that shit is going to come back and start infiltrating and getting back to your community. You guys realize that. Now, the argument might be, well, you know, I'll be long gone before... By by the time that happens, I'll be long gone. You know, I'll be dead, buried, bones, and I'll be nothing but bones six feet under. So why do I give a fuck, right? It's kind of like with climate change. You know, why should I give a damn about climate change? By the time the shit hits the fan... I'll be long dead. So, you know, I'm just going to continue what I'm doing now. And for my great, 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 great grandkids generation, that'll be their problem. I'll be long gone, right? That's a lot of the times with the attitude that we have, it's, it's a selfish attitude. And that's the same thing, I think, with a lot of time with these other communities, especially if you're talking about communities of privilege, where we're talking about, why should I give a fuck about what's happening in the, in the inner city schools? Why should I give a damn about what happens with black folks being harassed by the police? Shit ain't ever going to happen to me. Uh, eventually it will eventually it will that shit happens it happens as far as well you know crime all these things that you know you hear you hear all this bullshit about crime and murder and drugs and all this kind of stuff that always happens in different places it never happens in our community you see all these shows dealing with you know murder comes to a small town or you see these shows on the discovery channel or back when bill curtis was doing his thing on a and e with american justice and cole's case files and investigative reports and all this kind of stuff they always started off with in this small town, where crime is never, uh, where people leave their doors unlocked, and you can leave your car, your keys in the in the car, and all of this kind of stuff, because this shit never—murder, rape, and all this kind of stuff, mayhem—shit never took place. Drugs running rampant never took place in our community, not our good old Christian evangelical, wonderful, lily-white community, never. Those things happen in New York City. Those things happen in the big towns. Those things happen in the ghetto. Those things happen in those type of places. That shit never happens. Crime and drugs and all that kind of stuff. That never happens in our idyllic, wonderful, religious-based city or religious-based town. Not us. And then, you know, the local pastor is out there molesting boys. And then you find out that the president of the JC is up there murdering people. And then you find out that there's a serial, serial killer at loose. And then you find out that, you know, down the street there's a working meth lab in a certain part of town. You have nothing but zombies because they're all methed out. Not in our wonderful, small little, oh, wait, it does happen. Oh, shit. So what you're trying to say is that the crime, which first begins and grows in the big cities, Oh, you mean it emanates and goes down to the smaller cities. Now all of a sudden you have gang violence happening in places where shit. You never thought you'd have that shit happening in there. You never thought you'd see gang violence in Salt Lake City. You never thought that you would see Bloods and Crips in Denver, Colorado, or Sacramento, California, or Portland, Oregon, or Boise, Idaho. You never thought you'd see that shit. That was nothing but boys in the hood bullshit. That was nothing but all, you know, that type of stuff. Oh, you start, I mean it's starting to creep and now it's starting to come into our community? And now all of a sudden, then it's a problem. Then all of a sudden people want to sit there and so. how are we going to deal with this? What's going to be going on? Remember when violence was happening in the inner city schools and you know, folks in the suburbs said, oh, that's a problem and you know, that's the environment that they live in and those people don't know any better. Then all of a sudden, Sandy Hook happened and Columbine happened and these white kids started coming into the schools and started shooting up their uh, classmates and teachers and all that kind of stuff. Oh, my goodness, what's going on? We need to find out something. We need to throw in all the top psychiatrists. We need to bring in all the top child psychiatrists. Oh, my good! All the white folks started losing their minds. All of a sudden now, that shit that was happening in the black court, there were very little times that I can think of where black kids would run into a school in the inner city and start shooting up people just for the fuck of it because they're being bullied or something like that. But for all of a sudden now, it's like, oh my goodness, all of this shit that was happening in the poor areas, in the black areas, in the inner cities, all of a sudden now that shit is starting to come to our neighborhoods. It's starting to come to our communities. Now we're starting to have nut jobs living amongst us who will do some shit like this who are white, who are living in, you know, nice neighborhoods and upper scale neighborhoods and nice houses and HOAs and and community pools and all this kind of bullshit and manicured lawns and all this. Now all of a sudden that shit is happening in our community. Wait a second. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. So guess what? Black lives matter. The stuff that we're talking about, the stuff that is affecting the black lives and affecting the black community, it affects your community also. And if it doesn't affect it now, eventually it will be. So if you don't stop this stuff out now if you don't take care of about what's going on in our communities now of color, of oppression, if you don't deal with it now, if you don't care about it now, if you ignore it now, and tomorrow, and six months from now, and a year from now, and in November for the election, and you, re- you, re- you re-elect the fucking asshole that's going to do nothing about it except, uh, except make it worse. And you feel confident because that shit's never going to be dealing with you. So, until this whole pandemic shit went down, the economy was doing great. So, despite the fact that, you know, the black unemployment has raised and we're more divided than ever. And there's police brutality and there's, like, chaos in the inner cities. Just because you think that you're doing well because you got a raise and you think the economy is doing well and the Dow Jones is doing great. Don't think eventually, sooner rather than sooner... Rather than later, that the shit that's happening in the oppressed, downtrodden, black, Hispanic, and other communities of color that are under siege, don't think that eventually that will seep out to your community. So how does this all tie into why I think it's important that guys like Mike Trout and Drew Brees and Bryce Harper and Tim Tebow and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Chris Bryant, and since he's living in this country now, Conor McGregor, Michael Phelps, Aaron Rodgers, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Phil Mickelson, Sidney Crosby, Jimmy Johnson, why they need to go to their communities, why they need to go to their communities of color and of likeness and say, this is the reason why we need to continue to pay attention to Black Lives Matter in a positive way. Don't listen to that bullshit that being spoke by Tucker Carlson don't be duped by that ignorance with being spoken by Laura Ingram when it comes to Black Lives Matter and what we need to do in terms of the black communities getting better and the impact, positive impact that Black Lives Matter matters are doing. Don't listen to Tucker Carlson. Don't listen to Rush Limbaugh. Don't listen to Laura Ingram. Don't listen to any of those other right, right-wing jackasses. Don't listen to Breitbart. Don't listen to any of them, folks. I'm here to tell you because I live, I don't live with them. I work with these people. These are my brothers. Of course, in baseball, it's pretty hard, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty hard in baseball for my child to have a lot of brothers in the, in the clubhouse. But I'm trying, I'm trying to say it. But look, I've, I know what I'm talking about because I've listened to these folks and I've been out there. And these folks know what we're talking about. Let me tell the community something. Black folks ain't making this shit up. Black folks ain't, you know, black folks ain't, aren't, aren't the main culprit for this. You know, and as I mentioned before, we have to pay attention to this and we have to find solutions and we have to understand and we have to contribute with our voice, with our vote, with our voices, everything else. Because if we don't, that same shit that thinks that, oh, it'll never happen to us. Believe me. Believe me. It will happen. It will happen. So there you go, man. There you go. So that's why I say for white folks and for the white athletes, come on, man. This is the reason why we need you. If anything else, if you want to just even just even even if it's just for a selfish side, right? Even if you don't give a fuck about the black community and you don't care and it's all their fault and this, that, and the other. At least, you know, take up our cause. At least try to educate y'all folks because of selfish reasons. Because eventually that shit's going to come out to, you know, (laughs) that shit's going to come up to your area. You know what I'm saying? And you've got these small towns in middle America who have been predominantly white for decades and centuries and all those type of things. The Skidmores and the Akron, Ohio's of the world who are now facing financial peril because of the times that we're living in right now. Where are y'all going to go? What's going to be happening with y'all? Either you guys are going to have to go to the Boon or the Boonies or the Sticks or something like that, or you're going to have to integrate and learn about Blacks and Hispanics and Asians and other folks. So what do you want to do? Where do you want to go with this? That's my thoughts. That's my feelings about it. Wendell's World in Sports. Are we still talking about sports? This man's talking about all this other nonsense. Are we still talking about sports? Yes, we're still talking about sports. We're still getting down about sports. We are still speaking about sports. You know, if baseball could ever get their act together and then kind of start playing, I could be talking about the upcoming season on july 4th i can start talking about the schedule but no baseball wants to bicker and complain about oh i want 100 no i don't want 95 i don't want 90 and the owners are talking about well let's go to the 50 games let's go to 40 games let's go to 30 games let's see what we can do to break the spirit of the major league baseball player association so you know i don't know man i don't know my next podcast i'm going to be talking about um the NBA. Will that start? The NBA is different. The NBA is much about, you know, should we be playing basketball with everything that's going down right now more than just the pandemic, even though the pandemic is playing the, an important role with that also. So that'll be coming up next podcast. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let's do this. Let's um. let me go ahead. Let me regroup. Let me recharge. There's this interesting thing that I was thinking about when I was listening to the baseball players talk, the black baseball players talk about freedom and unity. And I've been hearing a lot about this. And I've been hearing this name a lot. And it's about time that I kind of put you all in check just a little bit, just kind of give you a certain different avenue, a different thought pattern that we can go through, right? Wendell's world of sports. Haven't I been saying this all along as far as my podcast is concerned? Yeah, the shit might be long, but guess what? I try to be informative. to be thought-provoking try to tell a decent joke or two Try to raise my voice every once in a while try to give you a little bit of me some of me a lot of me who I am what I'm all about right I got something I want to talk about concerning appeasing the masses with the name Martin Luther King Jr but first let me groove Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Last segment, let me get out of here with this. I want to talk about what's happening, as I mentioned before, about the name, the great one, the legendary, everything else, as far as any accolades, any type of worship and praise that you can give this man, give it to him, and then give it to him some more, and some more, and some more, and some more, you know what I'm talking about. Martin Luther King Jr., I was listening to the baseball player's when they were giving their speech, when they were giving this video, very well done, very heartfelt. No no qualms about it. This is not a, you know, this is not a, a diss, shall we say, say on this, but there was one part in the video where it says, uh, we've been told that our peaceful pleas were not made at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. We've been told to wait. But, we remember when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Warned us that the word wait has almost always meant never. We will wait no longer. Here's my deal with this. And I've been hearing this a lot. Basically, we've been hearing this our whole lives, right? I was born 366 days. No, wait a Yeah, I was born 366 days after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And, uh, so, you know, for them, it's been there all my life in terms of the example and the symbol and how black folks, white folks play the Martin Luther King card, you know, to their advantage. Um, and look, I, you know, when white folks want black folks to ease down, to appease, to be patient, to wait, to, you know, basically, you know, toe the line as far as the status quo is concerned. They'll throw out Martin Luther King Jr. When we get angry about police brutality, when we get angry about discrimination, when we get angry about racial uh, prejudice and intolerance and everything, white folks throw out the, well, you know, Martin Luther King would have said, Martin Luther King would have won it. Martin Luther King was talking about nonviolence. Martin Luther King was talking about everybody come together. Martin Luther King was talking about love, thy enemy. Martin Luther King was talking about, you know, justice and freedom from all and we all need to you know, join hands and sing kumbaya and everything will be awesome. And through our love and through our understanding, even the biggest bigots will sit there and take a look and say, ah, oh, you know what? Fuck it. We might as well start loving these black folks because after all, you know, through love and through peace and through harmony and through unity and the fact that we can whip their asses and they won't do anything. God, you almost have to feel sorry for them. Maybe through our sorrow Gosh and golly gee whiz, let's sit there and invite them to the table and let's hire them as head coaches and let's hire them as CEOs and let's give them an opportunity and let's have them live in our communities and let's have them date our daughters and sons and all this good stuff, right? Right? That's what white folks like to do when they play the Martin Luther King card, right? the Black folks on the end are talking about always like to play the Martin Luther King card because he is a strong black man. And when we need a strong black man to put in the face of a white male or a white person who can maybe be more receptive to the words and to the angst and to the anger that, and the frustration that we're feeling when we go to the Martin Luther King card, right? You know, about, you know, hey, we're, we're trying to integrate. We're trying to be good folks. We're trying to appease. We're trying to be nice. We're trying to turn the other cheek. But goddamn, would you please stop smacking us? Would you please stop denying us? Would you please stop getting in our way? Would you please stop putting obstacles in our way? but we're gonna be nice. We're gonna be wonderful, right? So look, I get it. But I've always said, man, we need more Malcolm X and James Baldwin as far as this civil rights movement is concerned this time. We need to hear more about some of the things that Malcolm was talking about, what James Baldwin was talking about, and a little bit less, still a lot, still a lot, still a lot, but just a little bit less of bringing up the name Martin Luther King every time black or white folks want to make their point about race relations. You know what I'm talking about? Again, as much as hearing these words from Martin Luther King are important and necessary to move forward. And as I mentioned before, this is not to mute Dr. King. This is not to disgrace Dr. King. This is not to eliminate Dr. King. This is not something to where I want Dr. King taken out of the of the of the conversation or muted or anything like that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, when you hear this speech, it's moving, it's awesome, it's fantastic, it's relevant, it's all of these things. The speech, of course, on the monuments of the Washington of the Washington monuments back in 1963. This is what we need to hear almost every single day instead of the national anthem or the. Pledge of allegiance being played in our school systems. I would much rather hear this. So let freedom ring
1: from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee.
0: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That I would much rather hear with Dr. King. You know how I know that? But I pledge allegiance to the flag. I know that because we hear it every single day when I go to work. I would much rather hear, or I would also like to hear... The i have a dream speech or at least that last minute or two of it i want to be able to uh, i want to be able to recite those words that dr king was talking about just as easy and freely as i was talking about in terms of the pledge of allegiance i want at least by the time these kids hit the 4th or 5th grade that they're able to recite the last part of that martin luther king speech i have a dream speech uh, but again, by the time they're in third or fourth grade, because they've been hearing it by the, by uh, since they were in kindergarten, that would be my dream. That would be my hope, and I bet you it would be it would stick a lot more. I think, and I would believe that these kids would be much more receptive. To learn that more than they would learn with just speaking about, I pledge allegiance to the flag and being in the Clark County School District, especially if you're talking about being in neighborhoods where it's largely Hispanic or it's largely black or it's largely, largely lower, lower class, or if they are talking about continuation schools, I'm quite sure that the those kids would be more apt, would be more, uh, would be more uh, positive, would have a lot more vigor and enthusiasm to go ahead and learn the ending of the I Have a Dream speech than they would where they feel it's a chore, where they feel it's a burden to get up in the morning, to put their hands over their hearts, to stand up in this classroom and say the Pledge of Allegiance, which 90% of them don't do anyway. So that would be my deal. So this is not something to where this... These comments and thoughts of, and opinions that I'm saying, this had nothing to do with me wanting to get rid of Martin Luther King Jr. and his impact and his philosophy and his ways and his means of trying to bring unity and harmony and togetherness for everybody. My only thing is that if you're going to be playing Martin Luther King, and if you're going to be bringing up Martin Luther King, we also need just as much or even more of what Malcolm X was talking about what James Baldwin was talking about. This is also what white folks, and black folks, and Hispanic folks, and Asian folks, and everybody folks, and old folks, and young folks, and middle class folks, and lower tier folks, and privileged folks. This is also the kind of stuff that we need to hear from the great, the legend, legendary, the inspirational Malcolm X.
1: And I for one as a Muslim believe that the white man is intelligent enough if he were made to realize how black people really feel and how fed up we are without that old compromising sweet talk. Stop sweet talking him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him how or what kind of hell you've been catching and let him know that if he's not ready to clean his house up, if he's not ready to clean his house up, he shouldn't have a house. It should catch on fire. And burn down.
0: I remember one time I substituted for a government class, or a U.S. history class, way up in the sticks. And mainly, it was Mormon country where I was at. Where I was at, not a black person to be found. But you know, I get mileage and I get extra for uh, going up there, and the kids are absolutely fantastic in that area. So it's always a pleasure for me to deal with them. So it was always a great. I was always happy to go up there uh, to the area where I was substitute and and deal with the kids because they were wonderful kids, great kids. But again, isolated because of the area where they were living in. And I remember, I don't know how, why or where we got to this, but we were speaking about the differences between uh, X and Martin Luther King. And of course, when you're in an isolated area like that, and we're talking about it being predominantly white and this, that, and the other, you know, the, 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 the rationale or the stereotype is that um, Martin Luther King was for nonviolence and everything like that, and Malcolm X was all about violence. You know, that ignorance and stupidity, which drives me nuts. So I feel it's my duty, as being a black man, to educate the white masses, especially at a young age, to let them know that that bullshit that was being taught. That Malcolm X was a thug, and Malcolm X was a guy who hated everybody, and Malcolm X was anti was anti white and all this kind of stuff. It's my duty, it's my privilege, and my honor to teach those that 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 was bullshit. And let me explain why. And if I could just get one white kid in that area to even think a little bit differently, then I've done my job. So basically, what I was saying was is that you know everybody here <clears throat> in the classroom was sitting in there talking about, yeah, you know, Malcolm X, uh, yeah, we heard that he hated America. And I said, well, let me ask you guys something, all right? Let's say, for instance, that um, you got yourself uh, an apartment, two-bedroom, right? And you got yourself a roommate, okay? So you go to school, you come home one day, you walk into your room, and your room has been trashed. Your room has just been run amok, Right? Books all over the place, bed unmade, tables turned over, you know, dirt on the floor, everything like that. And you walk in there and you say, "What the fuck? What's what's going on?" I didn't say what. I didn't say what the fuck. Of course, I was like, "What's what's going on here? What what happened?" So you go into your your roommate's uh, bedroom. And that bedroom was clean and it's nice and everything. And you say, you say, Sarah, what what exactly happened to my room? I left it this morning and it was pristine. A bed was made and everything was cleaned up. I vacuumed the floor. What the hell just happened? Oh, yeah, by the way, I just came in there and I just screwed it up. You know, I just threw everything around and I just messed it up. And, you know, I just just, just had a ball. Just had a great time messing up your room. And you say, well, could you please not do that? I mean, I wouldn't do that to your room. Do you mind not... Doing that, if you're going to go in my room, do you mind not messing it up, please? Oh, well, this, that, the other, this, that, the other. So the next day you come home, you go into your after school, you come home, you go into your room. Not only is the room messed up and turned around, your roommate has defecated on your bed. Drawn all over the walls, defecated on your bed, stopped up your toilet. You walk in there and you say, what are you doing? I told you. Not to be going into my room. Not to be messing up my room. You defecated on my bed. You clogged up my toilet. What is going on? What's your problem? What's the matter with you? Ah, you know what, Sarah? Give it a rest. This, that, and the other. No big deal. No big deal. And I said, what happens if this continued for a month? And then two months? And then six months? At what point would you have gone in and said, look, if you do this again to my room, I'm going to whip your ass. Or at least I'm going to try. Now I've asked you nicely not to do that. If you continue to do that, I'm gonna have to take some further action. Either I'm gonna have to tear up your room, either I'm gonna have to call the cops, I'm gonna have to do something drastic, or I'm just gonna have to take a baseball bat, come into your room where you're at, and start swinging for your melon. How many of you, and of course I didn't say that, I didn't want to get too violent, but I was like, so how many of you guys would be willing to fight this person if for day after day, week after week, month after month, Every time you came home from school, you had to deal with this person messing up your room and destroying your room. How many of you guys would tolerate that for, say, a month? Hardly anybody raised their hand. Okay, well how about an entire year? And of course they laughed and they scoffed. Oh no, dare, no, no, no. I was like, well, that's exactly what Malcolm was talking about. That's the difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King would have gone in there and said, you know what, hey, look man, you need to stop messing up my room, but he wouldn't have done anything. He wouldn't retaliate. He wouldn't retaliate in any type of physical violence. So he wouldn't have gotten in a fight with his roommate. He wouldn't have done the same thing to his roommate. He would have tried to just understand and talk to him and try to reason with him why he shouldn't do that. And hopefully through that, that that person wouldn't mess up your, um, wouldn't mess up your room. How many of those would have done that? And of course, they would have said, well, yeah, I would have tried that first, but you know, after a while, I would have just been like, no, fuck that, I'm, I'm going for broke. And I was like, well then, do you think if you did that, would you consider yourself violent if after months of dealing with this nonsense, if one day you just snapped and you came in there and you just started swinging on this guy or you just started doing the same thing to her room that she did to yours? Would you consider yourself a violent person? No, no, of course not. no, no. She deserved it, she would have, you know, she would have deserved it, this, that, and the other. I would have beat that bitch's ass a long time ago. All this kind of stuff that they would have said, right? I mean, they're kids, you just gotta, you know, they're high school kids, you just gotta let them go with the flow. I would have beat that bitch's ass a long time ago, right? I would have said, and that's exactly what Malcolm was saying. That's exactly what Malcolm was saying. Now, I'm not saying either one of those responses are wrong, if the person wants to just sit down and take it and, you know, oh, fuck that, man, that, 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 that would have been a bitch, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. I was okay, okay, but that's, that's fine, that's your opinion. But also, you know, it could have worked. It could work. Just like Malcolm's theory, which is you go in there and you start swinging, you start going for broke, that also would have worked. Malcolm was saying, look, I'm getting sick and tired of my community being brutalized and oppressed and being uh, disrespected like that. So now it's a matter of we have to do something drastic. And if that leads to violence, after all, after everything is said and done, and we're not doing anything, and we're not causing any harm, and we're not causing any type of damage, and we're not breaking the law, if we have to resort to something as far as extreme as violence is concerned, well, that's what we're going to do. Just like if you walked into your room day after day and saw that the person that you're living with screwed up your room, messed up your room, destroyed your room, after a while, it could have been for some of y'all, it would have been one day. For some of y'all, it would have been one year. But between that one year and for that one day and then be everywhere in between, someone here would have probably taken some action. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly the difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And neither one of your responses were wrong. If you want to wait a year and see what you can do about doing it in a non-peaceful, non-aggressive, non-violent way, fine. I hope it works for you. If you feel that you need to start swinging and start doing some other things because of that, understand that too. One way and one thought and one feeling is not better or worse than the other. And it's the same thing when we start throwing out Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and this, that and the other. Do you hear what Malcolm X was talking about? It does not that imply today in terms of, you know what? Black people need to let white people know how they feel, for real. Hispanics need to let white folks know how they feel for real. Gay people need to let white folks and black folks and other folks know how they feel for real. Gay folks need to let people know how they feel for real. Without compromise, without hoping to appease, without, you know, hoping to not hurt their feelings. No, let them know how you feel. Let them know how angry you are. Let them know that you're fed up with being disrespected, with being marginalized, with being uh brutalized, with being disrespected. I'm speaking about the minority class. I'm not just speaking about blacks. I'm also speaking about women, and I'm speaking about gays, and I'm speaking about uh, Hispanics. I'm speaking about anybody else who feels that they have been um, disrespected or they've been uh, oppressed, systematically oppressed. Let them know. And sometimes I think when black folks in this situation come up with Martin Luther King, it's a matter of we want to make sure that we don't upset the white folks, that we want to make sure that we don't hurt their feelings, that we don't want to get them defensive. I say, you know what, in terms of we can do that also with Martin Luther King, but God damn it, we better start throwing in a lot more of Malcolm X, which says we don't give a fuck about your opinions. We don't give a fuck about your feelings. We don't care if you're upset because we're taking down the Confederate flag during the races at NASCAR. We don't give a fuck about how angry you are. We don't give a fuck about what you're going to do as far as retribution in terms of that coming back to the raceway. We don't care. We don't give a shit. This is right. And this is what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, we don't give a fuck. Period. That's Malcolm. Martin is, well, let's just kind of go and, you know, the, the Confederate flag would have been too much of a shock at one time. And it might, you know, It might work as a disadvantage because it might just close them off from any type of reconciliation and how we can move forward in in harmony and brotherhood. So let's not do something that drastic. No, Malcolm is like, no, hell with that. And again, I see both sides. Again, this is not to say that Malcolm's philosophy and anything is better than Martin's. Sometimes Martin's philosophy is better. Sometimes Malcolm's philosophy is better. depends on who you're dealing with and it depends on the situation. But what I'm saying is, is that in this movement towards civil rights, white folks, white athletes, go ahead and use Malcolm. Go ahead and use Malcolm. Embrace Malcolm just as much as you embrace Martin Luther King. That's that's all I'm saying. That's all I want to say. It has nothing to do with we need to... One, one size does not fit all. One philosophy does not fit all. We need as many different philosophies as possible. Some of them Going at one side of the spectrum of the other. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm talking about. It's like, and I'll end it with this. It's like I was comparing it. I was comparing it to music back in the day, right? I mean, you take a look at Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was like Motown. You know, the sound of young America. It appealed to white people because... They made their music so non-threatening, so non-black, so non-soulful. Now, lucky for them, they had extraordinary artists like Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye and my main man, Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops and the Temptations and Smokey Robinson and Martha and the Vandellas and Mary Wells and all of these fabulous Little Stevie Wonder, the Jackson Five. I mean, all of these unbelievable, fantastic artists, right? Who could take anything. These motherfuckers could take Mary Had a Little Lamb and turn it into just unbelievable poetry and just greatness and you know you had the Funk Brothers you had all of these tremendous and talented and legendary performers right a songwriter like you know like like uh, Astrid and Simpson the songwriters like Smokey Robinson I mean the, these guys were just unbelievable but it was also made to make sure that it was non-racial that it was non-threatening you know what I mean so that was Motown, and because of it, you know, Motown is a, is a historical institution as far as uh, music is concerned, modern day music is concerned, and it should be, and it should be, I'm not saying that, but that's one side of what black music at that time sounded like, right? As Emma James said when it came to Motown, when they had the strings, when they had the orchestra, they put the sweetener into the music, they put the sweetener into the soul, you know what I'm talking about? You know, they made it they made it palatable for for white folks to like. You know, who were who were coming off. You know, maybe maybe not so much with Little Richard, maybe not so much with Chuck Berry, maybe not so much with. Uh, but they were more toward a uh, uh, Frankie Valley, that type of that type of uh, situation, that type of uh, pathway. So that what Motown was for. But as I mentioned before, when you have you know such great performers. As I mentioned, you know, with the Supremes and all them folks, of course you're going to take music with those geniuses and make it sound unbelievable. But that was Motown. Malcolm is like Stax. Malcolm is like Otis Redding. Malcolm is like Aretha Franklin at Muscle Shoals. Malcolm is like Chess Records at, in, in Chicago. You know what I'm talking about? Bluesy, rough. Raw, rugged, soulful, dirty, nasty, sweaty, grimy. I mean, they weren't polished. They didn't have to go to finishing school. They didn't have, you know, 15 different categories for their music to go through before it became good and ready. They didn't have the choreography. They didn't do all that nonsense. Otis didn't do all this nonsense. Olis didn't have a band behind him. Oldest didn't have a listening group To see if the music was going to be a hit or not Oldest really didn't have to Go through anybody to publish his music Or to get out his music To see if it was good enough for the masses Otis didn't have to go through the same things That the Tops and the Temptations And the Vandellas and the Jackson 5 And Marvin Gaye And all of those guys went through No, like Junior Walker did No, he didn't have to go through all that Rough, ragged, dirty, soulful you know, Otis had a bass, rhythm guitar, drums, organ, piano, alto sax, and a horn. That's all he needed. Motown needed a whole goddamn orchestra. You know, the har- the Philadelphia Harmonics could've came in there and played some of that shit with them. That's what I'm saying. So Martin Luther King is like Motown. Like a snowball rolling on the side of a slow cover hill. Rowan, <coughs> why can't I sing? Can I? But it's like, you know, that's Martin. That's the message Martin brings. It ain't threatening, it ain't destructive, it ain't talking about it. It's polished, it's nice, it's the kind the, of. The, the, the. And again, I'm not saying this to disparage, I'm not saying this to say something was wrong with that. I'm not saying that at all. Just like with Motown, I'm not saying that, oh, Motown sucks. Or the, the, no, if you like Motown over Otis Redding, I get it, I understand it. If you like Marvin Gaye and Levi Stubbs and, and those guys over Otis Redding, I get it. If you like their songs over Etta James, if you like the Temptations or the um, Supremes, if you like Diana Ross and Flo Ballard and Mary Wilson, that group over you know, what Etta James was putting down and all those folks and all those females, you know, and Carla Thomas and those guys, I get it. This is not to say that one thing was wrong or the other thing was, was worse. This is just to say that the totality of what we're bringing to the table is for everybody. And we need to introduce it to everybody because not everybody is gonna go the same path, the same way as just one one thing. So yes, bring in Martin Luther King during the civil rights movement, during this time when we need to educate, when we need to bring unity and harmony. Yes, 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 yes. Bring in the words, bring in the thoughts, bring in the philosophy of Martin Luther King. Yes, eight days a week, 366 days a year, and not including leap year. Yes, 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 25 hours a day. But also, along with that, bring in Malcolm. Make them folks also feel uncomfortable. Make them folks also, you know, get out of their comfort zone. That's the only thing that I'm talking about. Don't you like that thing between Otis and Malcolm being Otis, Martin Luther King being Motown? But it's just, I was just thinking about that because, listen. Listen to the difference right between the song It's Growing, Temptations, and Oldest Ready. Listen to the difference. shitting, David Ruffin, Paul Williams, Eddie Hendrix, Otis Williams, Melvin Franklin, I mean, that's that, that's that's some good shit right there, man, that is some good ass shit right there, like a snowball, I mean, it's polished, it's cool, it's, you know, it's right there, man, it's just, that's like, you know, Supper Club stuff, that's like, you know, uh, the Tonight Show with Jelly Carson stuff. That's like, you know, the Coco Cabana type stuff. You know, that's just like top hat and tail shit right there. I mean, that's some damn good music right there. Sung by black folks. Awesome. David Ruffin's voice. Oh, man, I wish I could sing like that. I didn't like what he did with Tammy Terrell. That was wrong. But, woo, if I could sing like David Ruffin, boy, I I, I would never talk. What's going on, y'all? My name is Wendell Wallace. Let's talk about LeBron. I mean, I'd never talk. If I could sing like David Ruffin, are you kidding me? So that's one way in terms of um, bringing that message, in terms of getting people to follow you, in terms of making an impact, in terms of changing lives, in terms of being educated in one way. But then we have, that that that, that was Martin Luther King, in terms of what's going on today in the civil rights movement, right? Smooth, non, non-evasive, non-threatening, sort of kind of non-black. Made for everybody, right? Then we get to the rough and rugged. The Malcolm, I don't give a fuck. This, that, and the other. We get to the legendary. We get to the fantastic one. We get to the my hero, the great oldest Ready. My man, my man, damn do I love me some Otis writing. So there you go, presenting both songs, expand the popularity of the song, the music, the artist, the culture which influences more to love the entire space of what's going down. Same thing with the messages of Martin and Malcolm, educating the majority. Different ways of presenting the message, but still wanting to get to the same conclusion and impact. Just different ways. I'm a Martin guy. Excuse me, I'm a Malcolm guy, but I do love me some Martin. I'm an Otis Redding guy, but I sure do love me some Levi Stubbs in the uh, Four Tops. All right, there we go. There we go. I want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Next podcast, I got to say some things about Mike Gundy. <laughs> that ain't true. <laughs> Ooh, our boy Mike Gundy, what's going on with y'all? I gotta ask Eric G, my man Eric G in Oklahoma City, who does a talk uh, sports talk radio show with Pat Jones. I gotta ask my, I gotta ask the G man exactly what in the hell is going on down there in Stillwater, Oklahoma, with Mike Gundy. How did that man still have a job? Is your state that broke? You, there's no more boom pickens money left, and you can buy him out. Damn, Guy's two and thirteen against Oklahoma. He does all this stupid stuff, and he's getting in, he's getting in all this controversy, and he still has a job. Woo! And he's making $5.125 million. How good is his son at quarterback? And this guy better be the next Andrew Luck or somebody. Or Mike Gundy to be keeping this job after some of that nonsense that he's doing. So I am going um, going to talk about that on my next podcast. All right. So I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I want everybody to be safe. I want everybody to be good. I want everybody to be the best that they can be and then be a little bit better and then be just a little bit better. Love one another. Hang out with your boo. Hang out with your fella. Hang out with your kids. Just do something nice, man. Just love, unify, and do all those good things because if we treat each, other's, each, each other the way that we want to be treated, hopefully, maybe, praying that uh, by the time I leave this earth, And get reunited with the ones that I love, that my beautiful, wonderful, fantastic, loving, attractive, intelligent goddaughter, Sydney Davis, and Armando Vasquez's kids, and Chris Ortiz's kids, and Mike Hootner's kids, and Marvin Prater's kids, and Mark Lawrence's kids, and Jay Femming's kids, and Corey Harrison's kids. And Cheryl Moody Oliver's kids. All of these folks who I know who are good good people. No, no, no. Not good people. Great people. David O'Neill's kids. My brother. You know, hopefully praying that by the time we leave this earth and leave it in the hands of that younger generation, that this place will be much more tolerant, much more loving, much more unified, and much more togetherness. I'm hoping and I'm praying, but it starts with us. The small things that we can do to make it better. I love sports. I love my mom. I miss my dad. Love my homeboys. Miss Marcy. Miss Felisa. Miss Stephanie. Miss Liz. Miss them all. Love you all. Music.